Welcome to School of Everything Else. WrestleMania 30. The biggest celebration. The greatest live event in entertainment. A night of iconic superstars. So, give me a hell yeah. What you gonna do, brother? Finally. Heart-pounding action. Yes! History has yes! been made at yes! WrestleMania! And the most shocking moment in WrestleMania history. Did anyone expect this? Be a part of the celebration. WrestleMania. This one will have come out of nowhere for the majority of our listeners. We've been talking about wrestling a lot on Twitter, but it is such a departure from what we usually discuss that I can imagine a lot of you adjusting your sets All I will say is, do not. Just as Hamilton got us through 2017 and re-watching Friends on Blu-ray got us through the nightmare that was 2016, so too has WWE Wrestling, specifically watching WrestleManias on a Sunday and making a day of it, so far gotten us through 2018. With us is wrestling fan Neil Taylor, whom we wouldn't have done this without. Let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> what are you going to do when school and movies and Hulkamania comes down on you? At the Superdome. At the Silverdome. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, we can't make this show about wrestling in general. It would be 10 hours long. We may well do further shows to explore other aspects, events, and superstars. It really all depends on what kind of response this one gets. If we get no response at all, we'll take that as a, mm, thank you, guys, nice WrestleMania show, get back to talking about movies. But if you guys are like, you know what? I'd never really watched it before, watched this one, blew my socks off. Then we might go further. But today we have to focus because this one isn't really for wrestling fans. Though you lot will probably still get a kick out of it. This is for those of you going, what, Alex? Why wrestling? Oh shit, he's talking about me. Yeah, you. I'm, I, I'm literally looking forward to hearing this because this one, even I was getting the Twitter message was going, hang on, what? <laughs> Because we are going to make this one an entry point for newcomers, the same as it was with us. It is such a huge thing, like video games or anime, that fans, when you ask them, might, might, bombard you with information, just happy to be asked advice on their specialty. And it can be overwhelming and sometimes a bit off-putting. And we're not going to do that. We're just going to say, watch this. WrestleMania 30. It is not expensive on Blu-ray. And that is how you're going to want to get it. You will want a big TV, you will want a lot of time on a weekend, and a bunch of tasty snacks. It will also be even better with some non-wrestling fan friends to get into it with you. Like, okay, well, let's have a look at this wrestling thing. And they're doing air finger quotes at that point. You want to be surprised and delighted by this. To that end, if you don't want to know the outcome of the matches, go Go away, watch it first, and then come back for our evaluation. I think you'll enjoy it, yeah. If you have no intention of watching it, but you're intrigued by what we see in it, or you want to hear it all first, or, of course, if you've already seen it, then carry on. There are a whole bunch of different eras of WWE wrestling, including Ruthless Aggression, PG, Transition, Reality, but for our purposes, think of it as just three. Now, these definitions are going to be loose as hell, so don't at me, wrestling fans. We want broad generalizations here, not alarming specificity. Trust me, folks, I'm trying my best. (laughs) 
I'd be on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. you just you could correct me in real time if you want, but like uh, I, I'm, I'm trying not to give people straightforward misinformation. But just for our purposes, let's go with three eras. We want to keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't keep, confuse people. Keep it simple. Starting off, there is the golden era. That is the 80s and early 90s. So Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh yeah, Jake the Snake, Ultimate the- Warrior. This is pretty much the era that's referred refer to, if you want the nice easy definition, of the Hogan era. The Ho- yeah, there you go, Hulkamania. It was brightly coloured, kid-friendly, and it positioned itself back then as more of a real sport like boxing than it has done in years since, because the little kids watching it thought it was real, to the point where when we saw WrestleMania 3, we were like, dude, they're throwing bits of wadded up paper at Andre the Giant. And Neil had to say, look, he was playing the villain at that point, he played his part, that was fine back then. I was like, no, it's really not fine. Would it be fair to say, though, that prior to the 80s, it was a lot less colourful, a lot less over the top, and therefore looked a lot more real, a lot more like an actual... Yes. Um, yeah. W.E. <laughs> whoa, whoa, oh, careful, oh, yeah, this no, is a no, rabbit I, hole, I, Sharon. How did you get us to the edge of this rabbit hole and say, so, so tell us about the San Martino Just era? Bear in mind, Neil, if you say WWF, we will have to bleep you. Oh, yes, yeah, we're going to have to WWF. Just put <laughs> put silence over those Fs. Oh, oh, going to have to get the F out. Yes. Legitimate T-shirt from the era as well. Side note, oh, by the sorry. way, watching old Attitude Era stuff where they've got the WWF logo, like... Um, fuzzed out I get like I I feel like I'm getting migraines because there's so many little fuzzy spots moving fast all over the screen it's like oh god I think they don't have to do that anymore I'm not sure Uh, I was going to say up until the late 90s Mm. wrestling was treated as it had always been back from like the 20s and earlier Mm. as real yeah that's that's something you, you refer to as kayfabe yeah, we found out about kayfabe a couple of days ago. That's uh, Is that a code word that wrestlers say to each other when they see regular people approaching in public? They're like, a kayfabe, like get back into character. The short history is that wrestling started in carnivals. So it's carny. A lot of it is tied up in carny speak and things like that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't give you a precise definition, but like the let's say the, the, the in-ring world is kayfabe. Mm-hmm. Then, then, and that is where you get your, say, your, your Stone Cold Steve Austin's, your Mankind's. The, in kayfabe, they are those characters. Mm-hmm. Outside, it's Steve Williams and, you know, Mick Foley and all this. <coughs> they're the people. They're the actors portraying the personas. The ones who go home and have to pay the bills. Yes. So wrestling has been, like, not real wrestling for a really long time. There is, of course, real wrestling, which Kurt Angle did and won a gold medal in, I hear. Um, but at <laughs> the Olympics. It's true, it's yeah. true. Um, as he will tell us every time many, we meet him. Many, many times. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, like, this is not... This is pre determined wrestling where there is going to be a winner and like some people some wrestlers were really fastidious about exactly what moves were going to be pulled off you we've seen pages and pages of numbered move sets for randy savage who was really into the idea of just doing it to the book like you know we've got this perfectly crafted match we stick to it so a lot of other wrestlers a bit more sort of well like by the end i have to have done this and and you know you pin me when I give you and then at the other end approach. of the scale you've got the ultimate warrior who just ran in smacked <laughs> someone in the face and more, ran out yeah again. more on warrior <laughs> warning, <later. laughs> warning tangent round because of randy savage we have the best ultimate warrior match ever which comes from wrestlemania 7 i have not hang on i might have seen that one i saw this uh, i might have seen both the the SummerSlam one that was on the, I think it was the Macho Man disc, 
That was the first time I'd seen Warrior actually work. I was going to say, was that the one where... Uh, I haven't Randy shown Savage it to you yet. ...made him do the moves? Yeah, he, he was like, right. Would that, would that be the one that was in England? Yeah, yeah, it would. <laughs> you did, that would did be you the one that I went to. Oh, you oh! jammy sod! <laughs> okay, yes, right, Winks. I, I haven't even named the second era yet. <laughs> we got oh, yeah, back on track, folks. So, yeah, there, 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 there's a, a variety of different wrestling uh, disciplines. Some stuck to it harder than others, and some are, uh, are there to... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. Attitude era, number two. That is the mid-90s through to early to mid-2000s. So, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Chris Jericho, Edge, The Hardy Boys, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Degeneration X. Everyone wore black. It was aimed at cynical teenagers who now knew wrestling wasn't real. It was coarse and a lot more violent. I'm trying to do a really good internet nerdy troll voice, but I can't do what Actually, <laughs> thank you. Okay, well, okay the, give me the information the, and I'll correct it. There is another era. Uh, the, before Attitude, it goes Hogan, and then there's what they call the new generation era. I know, I know, I know. Okay, right. As I've said, if we start giving them seven or eight eras, they'll go, oh, I don't care. They're, like, just three. Just, just keep it focused. Well, I just said internet troll voice. Exactly. Yeah, actually, you forgot the transitional era. <laughs> Wrestling explaining us. No, no, he's he's right to do so, and he's voicing what the people listening at home will be like. He'll be yeah. like, oh, I can't believe you forgot the ruthless aggression era that actually followed this one. Like, after you've seen the attitude era with all of its ruthless aggression, you're like, what did they even have left? Sort of golden era, Hulk Hogan. Attitude era, Stone Cold Steve Austin. New era third era that's how things have panned out since the attitude era came to a close in it wasn't an overnight thing there was a slow kind of boil down from the you know super violence uh when the teenagers aged out and got into other things or carried on being wrestling fans and grew up and got kids uh and once again the wwe courted kids and families and i'm gonna say it's a question mark to neil actually would you say the new era kind of courts the ladies a little bit more it's definitely trying a lot harder than it used to, um, especially where they are now to this point having genuine women's wrestlers who are mm. bloody fantastic. Right. I just, I, we're definitely, I've got a little bit on that, but it's also to explain why we're not going to talk about diva wrestling much in this one. But that is, we're putting a pin in that one for later because it's important. So, new superstars include John Cena, Daniel Bryan, Brock Lesnar, Bray Mysterio, CM Punk, Kofi Kingston, Randy Orton, Roman Reigns. Some of these guys have already, you know, retired or left wrestling. Some of these guys are le- less important. There's a lot of guys that I've missed out. But just that crowd. It is a lot more kid-friendly again. It is much more brightly coloured. It's more like 1988 than it is like 1998. And with the advent of HD, it looks a whole lot better. There's also more of a push towards women's wrestling. These are called divas, and it's honestly not a word I'm comfortable with, but there's progress all the same. The good news is they are no longer called divas. Oh, cool. Right. Okay, that's good. Uh, But there's progress all the same with trailblazers pushing the bar, just like with Marvel's movies, as they slowly edge towards number 21, the first female-led movie. Jesus Christ. It's slow going, but it feels like within 10 years, maybe less than that, we're going to be getting a considerably more respectable range of lady wrestlers with drama that ranks alongside the men's in terms of writing. Less in the way of objectification and more time spent with them at WrestleMania in particular. Because at the moment it feels like ladies wrestling is as important as, say, Shawn Michaels or 
the big show or one other it's, male wrestler it is definitely a lot better considering like one of their main stars now is a lady called ronda rousey oh yes but yeah putting a pin in that one we're definitely gonna if we do another wrestling show that is one of our core topics uh, it's definitely one that deserves talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's 51% of the planet. <laughs> okay. WrestleMania 30 is special. Obviously, it's a milestone anniversary, but there's an energy here that so far has been the best that we've experienced in our limited experience with the WWE. It took place on April 16th, 2014, in front of 75,167 screaming fans at New Orleans' prestigious Superdome. The... Color balance is amazing. That's a weird plus point to begin with, but there's a bluish violet mix through all of the extensive lighting. Purple ring posts and apron, there's a yellowish orange in the accents, a pristine white squared circle of a ring, and all of this being the staging area means that the superstars really pop out with their sunburned skin and colorful costumes. It looks nothing short of stunning in HD. When I get into something and it really clicks, my tendency is to research like crazy, and I have found out a whole lot. I, I also hit a, a problem, which is that whenever I looked at a wrestling, like a wrestler's Wikipedia profile... Don't do that. Yeah, don't do yeah, that. It you goes right. unhappy. They won this. They lost this. They lost this. They lost this. They won this. I'm like, I don't need... I don't want to know this. Like, could, like, could you have, like, spoiler text in Wikipedia? Like, to find out about them at all, you have to go through every match they've won and lost. And, and like, I don't want to know that. I really like not knowing where matches are going. That's just the thing for me. There's got to be people out there who are like, no, actually, I need to know first who wins who loses so i can study it 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 comes into that weird realm because it's an unreal sport yeah that they treat the wikipedia pages like a sports page if that makes sense yeah yeah rather than like a episode of a tv show where you might say leave the outcome to the end so that people don't have to scroll Mm. down that far it's tricky but there's a a lot of information to pack in there and it's all kind of higgledy piggledy like if you want to get down to 2014 you got to get through yeah it's 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 a minefield so rare like in a rare instance we have not been combing wikipedia for information on wrestlers we've kind of had to get what we can get from what we've seen <laughs> and that's where i come in I yes bingo you can be the person who says well actually um, but not in the horrible nerdy yes voice. no yeah you're not well actuallying us it's it's more of a sort of neil please actually us okay i uh, yeah <laughs> okay and I've found out a whole lot. Uh, throughout the year, WWE gets screened in its live shows. That's two a week, Raw and SmackDown. Are there any more than that now? Uh, no, those are the main ones. Mm. Are they both live or is it just Raw? Or? No, they are both live. live. SmackDown has a t- had a tendency to be pre-recorded sometimes. Right. But now it's but now currently, they're... I think, back to live. Okay. So that's the stuff we haven't watched. We haven't watched the week-to-week stuff, the... <laughs> I think I, I can, we compared it to like watching Mar- Netflix Marvel TV versus the MCU films that come out like that. The, yeah. the WrestleManias are the Super Bowls; they're the the the, the big stuff that happens. But uh, the easiest way I could probably equate it is it's a weekly comic series with an annual once a month. Yeah, or the way that Marvel go through the whole year and then they have a big crossover event at the end. Hmm. So, like, you know, you watch the crossover event, but it'll it'll really help if you've watched loads of of Raw and, yeah. and SmackDown, like, because you'll know everything about it. Or alternatively, you walk into the comic shop and go, "Do I have to read all of these?" To Bingo! To get the you could thing? just be handed the seven book series of Civil War by Mark Millar and told, "This is good. Just read it cover to cover. You don't need to read all the rest of them." 
Sorry, can I have that in writing? You just cra- you just praise Mark Miller for something. Honestly, I was thinking to myself as I said the this words of all the Marvel crossover events that I could possibly say were good. Why did I choose that one? <laughs> Actually, no, that one technically still is good. Okay. But I mean, it's, I was just thinking because there, there was a lot of tie-in with that, which was just oh, sort God, of yes. garnish. And uh, honestly, the, the, the Luke Cage issue, that's New Avengers issue 22, is better than the seven issues of, of the main thing. So, you know, sometimes you'll get raw episodes which are better than the WrestleManias, I would imagine. But, uh, oh, yeah. but we've been focusing on the WrestleManias. Uh, they are basically, like I said, the Super Bowl for the WWE. One big event that lasts many hours with many matches and high production values. Championship belts are won. There's music and celebrities. There are moments which make wrestling history with the unexpected, the unprecedented, even the unplanned. As well as this, since WrestleMania 21, they have included in the Blu-rays as a second disc the Hall of Fame ceremony, which happens the evening before the main event, and where six or seven veterans retire in style or are honoured long after their retirement or even after their death with a remarkably honest series of speeches and tributes and testimonials. And these have been some of the most surprisingly engaging moments for us as old war horses from the Golden and Attitude eras close out their legacies. I think principally we've loved watching it because all of that kayfabe stuff kind of, it becomes like coded into their language, but they're really talking as themselves. And when they talk to each other, they're like all the wrestlers are out front in front of them. So you've got all the new guys and a lot of the old guys all just sitting, you know, smiling and the camera cuts to them when someone's talking about them or it's, it's relevant to them. And, and sometimes you get these lovely touching little moments and things pass between the, the, this family in the front and the guys at the podium and girls at the podium. And, there's also this giant crowd of tens of thousands of people surrounding them. Like they've been granted an audience. And sometimes, sometimes, WrestleMania 25, I think, um, they, they can be really off-putting. And like the, the crowd aren't vibing with an actual serious moment. And that's been frustrating. But sometimes the crowd actually do respect the rest of talking. It seems like in more recent years they've kind of cottoned on to, you shush now. When that's when someone says woo, you can say woo. But otherwise <laughs> Shush, let these guys it's talk. Stay on the U weighing. Okay. So because wrestling isn't real and once that is accepted you can really start getting to grips with watching a series of comic book style rivalries and allegiances, epic battles and human drama. There's the characters these athlete actors play, the amazing physical feats they pull off and their engagement with the crowd and then there's the real men under the skin and the ladies under the skin, the pain and exhilaration, the moments of excitement and being overwhelmed when they achieve or lose something, even if it's just acting, even if it's like something will still affect them and some of the best moments have been catching a glimpse of the intersections when something becomes very real or powerful for the men and women you're watching when the past plays prologue to the present the outcomes may be predetermined a lot of the rivalries may be written that way but that doesn't make them less engaging and those moments of truth add a whole lot of weight to the experience jake the snake roberts made us cry Twice we've watched his speech twice now, and I think he got to us more the second time because I'm going to say this it. now: whatever you do, do not watch the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts without at least oh a whole lorry load of tissues. Oh God! Okay, um, I'll, I'll, so, we'll hold on back on that for a while, but yeah. So just for context on that one, how you you are aware of the movie called The Wrestler? Yes. Yes. 
Is that based? Ooh. We we actually saw it this week in preparation for this, just to sort of get. <laughs> Guess in whose eyes. life that is loosely based on? <sighs> it makes so much sense. It does, Sharon. You actually drew a comparison between the two versions of Randy the Ram uh, in in that the, the 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 version that's very honest and truthful about his, his messed up life, and the version that's desperate for attention and to cling to the image. And you compared those to the way Jake the Snake uh, made his speech, and then a few hours later, Ultimate Warrior came out on stage and made his speech. Yeah. More on that in a bit. <clears throat> Wrestling is on a journey to being woke. And inclusive, inspiring for all people, not just white males. There have been some really uncomfortable moments in the past. The 80s played host to a bunch of racial stereotype villains. There was a lot of rampant homophobia, especially in the Attitude Era. There was a steroid abuse controversy that's never entirely gone away. The very serious ongoing issue of how the company treats its talent in sickness and in health. And even today, there are still problems, not least of which is the enormous elephant in the room wearing a red cap. (sighs) Because WWE's chairman, Vince McMahon, is bosom buddies with Donald Trump. He has been for decades. Trump Plaza played host to two WrestleManias, and Vince's wife, Linda, is actually part of Trump's cabinet. She comes into work every day, looks at what her party have been doing, reads phrases like, immigrant children in cages, says... This is fine, and looks forward to lunch. This is beyond appalling behaviour. It will be seen as historical complicity in a truly dark period in America's already very patchy political history. And it's for money. The McMahons funded Trump in the 2016 campaign trail and made $100 million in 2017 as a result of Linda's position on his staff and the financial perks that this affords Trump's cronies. They're in it for the money, and they don't care who gets hurt. If they did, they would walk on principle, and this is unforgivable and despicable betrayal of America and its people, the same as every crook in the Republican Party standing by as this monstrous administration hurts everyone in its bid to increase the personal fortunes of the 1%. But is wrestling just the McMahons? Where do you draw the line on this extended family? Do we ignore the messages of acceptance and unity and inclusivity which actively defy everything the Trump administration is about and which have become the remit of the company for years now? Do we sideline the Don't Try This at Home trailer before every DVD starts up which confounds toxic masculinity by showing these men in genuine, vulnerable pain? Do we skip over the heartfelt and genuine things said by aging men and women being reflective melancholy, candid and self-effacing in a way that Donald Trump could never be in a million years? Do we downplay the inspiration, especially to children that these heroes represent? The tireless work they put into Make-A-Wish and the hundreds of sick and dying young people whose lives have been improved by their actions, their time, their attention, even if only for a short while. Just because that vile beast Trump is actually somehow in the Hall of Fame for his pathetic and self-aggrandizing contribution to the business and his disgusting bully boy appearance wherein he shaved his buddy Vince's head because he couldn't just win, he had to humiliate his willing opponent. Is Trump the WWE? I'd forgotten that Harvey Weinstein was one of the producers of the Fellowship of the Ring until I saw it again today and got to the credits. Is that it for the Lord of the Rings and me now? There comes a point where you have to either boycott everything even vaguely related to wrestling, including Guardians of the Galaxy, Infinity War, The Princess Bride, Spider-Man, every Fast and Furious film after five, and goddamn Moana. Or draw the line and just enjoy WWE wrestling as the massive, history-spanning group 
effort it is and just scorn the billionaires making their money from the unconscionable hijacking of a nation. John Cena, The Rock, Steve Austin, Daniel Bryan, Dave Bautista, The Undertaker, Macho Man, Randy Savage and Andre the Giant are not Vince and Linda McMahon and a hell of a lot of the positive change has notably occurred over the years since Vince stepped back and let new hands control the direction of the WWE. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, sort of. He's still CEO. See, this is a question that is actually quite relevant at this point in time. Which yeah, is go where for do it. You draw it. It is the, and it's it's not just to wrestling; it's to everything. It is, and it is a time-old question. It is where do you draw the line? I will be honest about a lot of the wrestlers we're going to talk about, and I apologise now to you both, you and Sharon. I know you've enjoyed stuff. Some of these men are not nice people. Hmm. Some of these men have been guilty of horrendous things. And it's also the same when we come to actors, to musicians, to novelists, to directors, to everything. It is a case of where do you draw the line? And there is different lines for different things. I'm never, ever going to watch a Roman Polanski movie. I know that much. Bingo. Yeah. And there's different lines for different people as well. It's not, yeah. not everybody is going to have the same perception of this is my cap and, and anybody guilty of X, I can't. Mm. deal with some people will be okay with that some people will have one rule for some and a different rule for someone else which can come across as hypocritical but ultimately all you can really do is be honest with why you're okay with a but not with b and as long as you can still look yourself in the mirror that's kind of all you can do yeah um it is something that's definitely uh and we're also having to draw this line with fandoms now mm. A personal experience of mine, I have literally banned the words Star Wars from Twitter. Oh, my God. Alex will tell you I love Star Wars. Yeah. I really enjoyed The Last Jedi. I have problems with the series, but I'm at the point where I don't want to hear a goddamn thing about it anymore. I'm just going to watch the films and enjoy them to myself. Yeah. Because it's just... I've had enough. I thoroughly understand that. So... <clears throat> but this is like it's a very good point that Sharon makes. Everyone has different lines, and for different people, it's different things. Hmm. There are going to be uh, people who are like, you know, well, if the McMahon family are funding Trump, then that's it for me with wrestling. Bye. And I, that, and I completely you know what? understand. That's fair that. enough. Yeah. And it's like the new hands that you're talking to uh, is a guy called Paul Levesque. Most people will know him as Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, whatever you want to call him. He has done a lot of good recently. He's repaired bridges. He's helped grow and push new talent. He's done a lot of good things. But. However, <laughs> he has also done a lot of bad things. There's a man you mentioned, a man called CM Punk. Yeah. An excellent wrestler, uh, very entertaining. A man who no longer loves wrestling. A man who actually hates it. He, part of the reason of that is Triple H. I'm not going to go into the stories. I don't want to kill things, but yeah. So this guy has done good things, but he has also done shitty things. So. Yeah. I think there is there is a degree as well that because it's a it's the business and you'll hear a lot of the wrestlers talk about the business and then they get capital T capital B absolutely and then they get very vague about the details because a lot of it is still this sense of it's an insider thing either you're in and you know or you're out and you don't or you're someone like myself who in wrestling fandom would be called like a, a smart mark. Mm. Uh, Mark refers to the audience uh, again. It, it comes from the carny term. That is a carny term. Mark means someone that you can con. 
yeah, literally. But that was the point. That's the audience. Um, you, it's not Con in a bad way, but you want them to buy into the story you're telling. You want them to buy into, you know, Daniel Bryant versus Triple H. You want them to bu- feel this storyline, and, and that's where you mark. Uh, a smart mark is, is someone who's very aware of the business and the ins and outs and how it works and, and the goings on behind the scene, the internal politics and, and things like that. That's the nice way of putting it anyway. <laughs> Being called a smart mark is not usually a good thing, but oh, I'll, right. I'll look up to it here. So, so like if a wrestler says, "Oh, you're a smart mark, huh?" You're like, "Yes, uh, Mr. Snake Roberts." Oh, I'm going to call every wrestler so, oh, man, because you know what? Every single one of them can kick your ass. Yeah, and I'm not going to upset them. I respect those guys far too much. So how are we going to do this? Uh, we will go match to match and talk about who each wrestler is. And we're going to be skipping the warm-up, the Royal Rumble, and the six-man tag team match for timing reasons. And we are very deliberately jumping past the ladies' match because that whole side of things is deserving of, at the very least, a whole dedicated section of the I show. Would actually, I would say it's a whole show because yeah. what they've done is actually worth talking about. Well, we've, we've got a, a Divas DVD. Um, we've got <laughs> well, a History watch. of Female Wrestling DVD set aside. It's, it's only just been released, so uh, once we've... Um, got, got a couple more WrestleManias out of the way. We were going to watch that end to end and uh, see if we can form a show out of it. That'll be the all thing. I, all I can say is look forward to the four horsewomen. Okay. We only have eight superstars to cover tonight, but once we've told you who they are, their histories, and what they want, what makes them tick, we'll talk about the high points of that match. And it'll be, I'd guess, 80% setup, 20% wrestling description. But we will give you an idea of why this has had such an impact. And before we start, here are a couple of things that we are going to have to save for future shows because they're all interesting and expansive by their very nature. The Golden and Attitude Eras, Women's Wrestling, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Montreal Screwjob, The Curtain Call, The Pipe Bomb, and CM Punk. And now... WWE Network proudly presents the 30th Annual Entertainment Spectacular, WrestleMania. Okay, so we kick off with this little ditty about uh, New Orleans, which is obviously a uh, city that's had some serious shit in the past uh, uh, two decades. Um, And uh, obviously Hurricane Katrina kind of ruined uh, thousands and thousands of people's lives ended others as well so it's it's kind of wonderful to see the uh superdome light up like it does here and to 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 really showcase this city as 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 a place of of life we start with hulk hogan himself coming out to the the classic rick derringer real american uh intro music
on a, a brief back tangent, I well, we saw The Rock versus Hulk in what 2003 was that? WrestleMania X8, I think. Don't X8, give me yeah. just give me give me numbers. Okay, that X8. So this is 12 years after that. Had he gone back to his red yellow uh, outfit uh, in the yes, interim? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think he really went back to NWO Hulk. More on that another time. Um, <laughs> yeah, Hulk yeah, is but, a, Hulk is a, a whole topic of his own. Yeah, but no, I mean, this is when Hulk's here in the WWE. This is the Hulk that you get. You get the red, well, m- more red than yellow these days. But you know, the red, red, white, and blue. You know that 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 stereotypical Hulk. I mean, that's what you get. Yeah. So and I'll tell you what, he glues that damn bandana on. <laughs> so Hulk comes out, and like the fourth word out of his mouth, he says, "I'm just so fantastic to be here at the Silver Dome." Now, there is such a place as the Silverdome. It was WrestleMania 3, and the way he, he uh, gets away with this is, like, he, like he's a little bit down the line, and he goes, oh, I've just been corrected by my Hulkamaniacs. It's actually the Superdome. I was thinking about body slamming Andre the Giant. And it's this wonderful moment, because, like, he says Silverdome, and the whole crowd's like, no. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, brother. First off, I'd like to welcome everyone here at the Silverdome to WrestleMania 30. Everybody in the WWE Universe and everybody that's watching the WWE Network to to tear the roof off this place right here in New Orleans, Louisiana, brother. Hulk thinks he's back in WrestleMania 3. (laughs) That's all right. You know, I was there for the very first WrestleMania right in Madison Square Garden, where me and Mr. T beat Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. That was just the beginning. And then fast forward 30 years later, WrestleMania 30, right here in the Silverdome, I can't believe I'm the special host here for WrestleMania. I'm sorry, it is the Superdome, brothers. I'm excited too. <laughs> I was just thinking about body slamming Andre the Giant, but yes, sir, we are here in the Superdome without a doubt. <laughs> and now that I've stood corrected by all my Hulkamaniacs, that's what this is all about. 30 years of WrestleMania moments. Having been in the audience, this, uh, not, not a wrestling guy, this actually happened at a gig where an artist actually said the wrong name, and you got it, <laughs> so that was quite funny. <laughs> well, yeah, like, no, no one was thinking, you suck, Hogan! How dare you disrespect well, our city! The fact is, that this little botch mistake um, <laughs> actually comes back uh, when other members start taking the mickey with it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. He lays it down, and then it just gets funnier each time. Uh, the, the Silverdome was actually, uh, like I say, WrestleMania 3, it was in Detroit... The Hulk's talking and he's talking about that you're going to get some Wrestlemania moments and you know because you never know when something might happen and then suddenly and then Stone Cold comes out and everyone's like oh my god did they say that he, Stone Cold hasn't appeared for like three Wrestlemanias at this point? It's been about three years at this yeah. point, yeah. He hadn't been involved, I don't think. I, I hate memory because everything sort of intermingles when you watch this stuff week to week. Um, you know, it's been a long time, uh, and there he was. And I don't think anyone knew he was there either. And that's, right. 
So that was that was a big surprise. And there you have in the middle of the ring you have Hogan, who defined the the late eighties, the early nineties. He was the yardstick there. And then you had the guy who took it even further in the, the sort of the late nineties for only like two years, three years. Yeah. And Stone Steve Austin. Stone Cold um, had a very I, short, very bright career. And yeah, so I like to say. I watched this one live, so I lost my ever-freaking-loving mind when that glass broke. <laughs> I mean, I was happy to see Hulk Hogan, don't get me wrong. The guy that got me into wrestling, I was happy. I was really enjoying that. Even laughing at the botch as well. And then the glass broke, and it was holy... Sh- yeah. Well, we've already seen like Hogan fight The Rock, so I'm assuming fans have been for years going, maybe Stone Cold and Hulk, maybe Stone Cold and Hulk... Yeah, it's kind of one of those things. These are icons, so it's the whole dream match kind of thing. You have yeah. dream matches in boxing, so you have you always have dream matches in wrestling. Yeah. Um, but when uh, Stone Cold was inducted to the Hall of Fame, uh, twenty-five, they they were shouting at him, the crowd, "One more match, one more match," and he said very diplomatically, <clears throat> "I don't know about that." And I think that's about the nicest way you could say, "No, my leg." Actually, it's his neck. It's his surgical oh, neck. He has three fused vertebrae. Oh God! So, so yeah. Like, even if he got into the ring with with Hulk, who is now like pushing sixty, um, Hulk also can't do um, much. much. It's not going to be a spectacular match. Not really. But <laughs> when Stone Cold turns up and everyone's chanting, he's like, "If you're ready for WrestleMania 30, give me a hell yeah!" Good to be back here at the Silver Dome. <laughs> if you want me to open up a can of whoop ass on Hulk Hogan, give me a hell yeah. What? That's, That's what I thought you was going to say. And uh, so, like, Hulk's done his talk. Stone Cold does his talk. And he's like, give me a hell yeah. Uh, then. And just when you think, just when you're me, who's really loving this moment, absolutely loved it, this moment can't get any. What the rock is cooking? And the rock turns up and really, like, uses that moment of everyone going, oh my god! Because, like, you know, he's, he's sort of, you know, gesturing and pointing at the crowd, takes his time to get down. But, like, this, just this, these three guys in the ring. There's a lot of energy there, so it's definitely one of my favourite WrestleMania moments of all time. And uh, so they just banter back and forth. Stone Cold and The Rock have a little poke at Hogan, who is very gracious about it. Which means finally, The Rock has come back to WrestleMania! By the way, which finally means The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and the immortal Hulk Hogan have finally come back to the Superdome! (laughs) When I look across this ring, I don't see just two of the biggest legends of all time. No, 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 no. When I look across this ring, I don't see just two of the biggest icons of all time. No, 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 no. When I look across this ring, I see my good buddy Stone Cold Steve Austin. I see my childhood hero, the immortal Hulk Hogan. And without, and without a shadow of a doubt, and I mean this from the heart, I look across this ring and I see without question the two biggest names in the history of the WWE. I've had the honor and the privilege 
are facing your boast at WrestleMania. You've impacted my career. We've done it all. We've headlined WrestleManias. We've electrified. We broke records. You've had an incredible impact on The Rock's career, but you've also had an incredible impact on everyone in the locker room. Because tonight, a man's gonna come out here and he's gonna fight in the name of hustle, loyalty, and respect. But, 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 that man doesn't, doesn't come out here and fight in the name of hustle, loyalty, and respect unless someone 29 years ago vowed to say their prayers and eat their vitamins, brother. This is WrestleMania. It's an honor for me to be in the ring in front of you too. It is an honor for me to be in the ring in front of you, the WWE Universe, the world. The world is looking. It's boots to asses time. If you're so what the rock is cooking. And on that note, and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. So, what you gonna do, brothers, when Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, WrestleMania 30, and the Superdome run wild on you, brother? And The Rock does what he does best, which is to use his eloquence to fire everybody up. He's like Muhammad. Ali, and I do not use that comparison lightly. The Rock shakes uh, Hulk's hand, then they all share some beers, which is the Stone Cold thing to do, and spray them all over the place. One of the most important things they actually do there is equate what the guys have done in the past to what guys are going to do tonight, and that's very, very important. They, they help put over the new talent, which is incredibly important. Yeah. I think, for me, one of the reasons why this intro was so fantastic and actually seeing it the second time was better because I got all the significance of what they were doing is that it it really gets across the sense of this as a form of entertainment it's it's kind of like British listeners will get this American listeners maybe not so much but pantomime Mm, yes. That, that there are, and, and yes, there's a crapulence to pantomime that wrestling doesn't really have. Um, at least good wrestling doesn't really have. But the, this idea that you know at some point something's going to happen where the audience gets to shout, "He's behind you." You know, <laughs> there's going to be these certain character types that get trotted out every time. Sometimes they're really horrendously problematic. Yes, but that that idea of there is a format that everybody knows, and they know what they're going to get. But it's the way it's presented. It's the way it's. Different out it's the skill with which it's applied i loved seeing the way uh, dwayne johnson holds an audience <clears throat> that man is he, he's got this almost shamanistic thing about him that he can he can tell this story physically and and he's he's got both, which a lot of the a lot of particularly the golden era wrestlers they had the physical athletic ability they they could tell a story um, through the moves and what they were doing, but they didn't necessarily have the communicating ability, the actual sort of speaking and, and so like Brock Lesnar. Uh, well, yeah, it's what yeah. we refer to as promo skills. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But but for somebody like Dwayne Johnson, who's got it in spades at, at both ends of the spectrum. Watching him work is inspiring. 
See, I'm about to say something that most people may consider blasphemous. The way The Rock control, or Dwayne Johnson controls a crowd is very reminiscent of Freddie Mercury. That man could control a crowd with ease, and The Rock does it in a way that's very natural and almost effortless. Yeah, I'd go with but that. You just I would totally it. go with yeah. that. The way, like, where you see them both tip their head back and go... So I know that was supposed to be only a few seconds long, but I found myself hypnotized by that voice. <sighs> They're posing and like controlling through the mic, but at the same time you're with them. Mm. Yes, there's, there's almost, in fact, yeah, going going on the because we've seen a documentary of The Rock as well, and him. That was our about... just a slight explanation. The Rock is our gateway drug. Watching enough Fast and Furious. <laughs> to be fair, no, he's going to be a lot of people's gateway drugs. This is why he's still brought back from time to time. Because obviously, Fast and Furious. The guy first one's free. Neil, you got us into Fast and Furious as well. This is all your fault. Yeah, this is your fault, Neil. I'm sending you the I... bill for all these WrestleManias. Excuse me. Did I not say after you subjected me to the Transformers, I would have my revenge? You it's did. the sweetest oh revenge. Oh my god! <laughs> and, and we didn't rock- even realise until now. That's the best kind of revenge. And the, and the best bit is, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> So, yeah, no, we watched uh, The Rock's documentary, uh, The Rockumentary, if you will. Like, one of the matches on that was just him challenging Cena to a fight. And it was like, oh, I'd really like to see that. So we got WrestleMania 28. It was great. And then we got 30 after people, we were like, so what, what's all so good from this kind of era? And 30 was even better. So, oh yeah, the once in a lifetime, <clears throat> twice in a lifetime. It's <clears throat> <laughs> actually someone, some wise ass had twice in a lifetime written on a board during that second match in 29. Mm. Somebody who I had to block on Twitter heard that I loved The Rock and couldn't resist telling me endlessly how much he hated the man. All he does is show up, bury some talent, and then fuck off for a few more WrestleManias, was what this guy said. All evidence is to the contrary. This is the greatest ambassador for the medium the world has ever seen. Stone Cold may be more popular as a superstar among an older set of WWE fans, but The Rock is the guy that brings people in. He got me and Sharon. We wouldn't be doing this without him. The fallout of the rock documentary was that it it really, for me, got me into this idea that I think the new era and what the the really high-quality performers that are doing it now have got, they seem to have a really good instinct for how much authenticity and performance to blend. Yeah. So that... Yes, you've got the the obviously the in character stuff, and sometimes it can be really interesting to see when there's a massive discrepancy between somebody's character persona and how they are when they're being more real. Like you said, Alex, those those really real moments at the um, the Hall of Fame 
events. Some of them have been absolutely gut-wrenching. Mm. But the performance of the, the physical, the promo skills then, if that's, if that's what it's called, um, and the, the way that they are able to, to sort of put across who they are without giving away too much of themselves Mm. that is a skill that is something that that not everybody has and it seems to be i would say it's very particular to this form of entertainment but i think there is a bit of that as well in the really high-end um pushed movie stars like your marvel um central performers they seem to have (laughs) <laughs> yeah, all of those Chris's out there. Um, but yeah, they, they I don't seem... know, certain scarlets are having difficulty these days well, with their yeah, communication skills. But but I think, would it be fair to say that there is, you can see some comparison oh, yeah. between yeah. the Marvel uh, actors uh, uh, and uh, the, the rest of really... A really good comparison that you might want to draw here, I don't like particularly like this for wrestler, John Cena and Chris Evans. Yeah, I would say. Oh yes, very good. and we do, or I do, yeah. <laughs> regularly. Sharon likes to put John Cena and Chris Evans together in her head a lot. Stop it! But like, you'll find you'll find. I look forward to finding your fan fiction. <laughs> you'll find John Cena and Chris Evans in Make a Wish in costume, being the hero for the kids mm. regularly. There, yeah. there is definitely and specifically a joy there as well. encouraging their colleagues to do yeah. the same, and they bring that into the real world, and that kind of gives it more of a tangibility. I mean, it's not real, but it's you know there's there's been arguments throughout um, uh, fiction history that that if if everyone believes in one thing, it can be more real than the lies we tell ourselves about you know justice and civilization in general. It's the escapism of it all. Yeah. And also, you say it's not real. Uh, hang on a minute. Are you talking about the performance elements now, or the? portraying themselves as a nice guy and going around to help sick kids. I'm saying it's not real in that The Undertaker is actually a living man who has never been dead. Gotcha, so you're talking about... Right. <laughs> so the actual on And he, he doesn't have a burned stuff. half-brother. Yeah, okay. <laughs> to my knowledge, Chris Evans was never five foot four and incredibly skinny. No. But Kane is a lovely guy in real life. His, he really is. His introduction to Paul Bearer in this ceremony was... Oh, God, if that doesn't tear you up. Oh, he's mm. lovely, yeah. He's so sweet. Yeah. So there's this this wonderful intro uh, from from these three iconic war horses. They're, they're sort of like getting you all g'd up, g'd up for it, and then uh, we've got the main like, opening match between Triple H and Daniel Bryan. Now, yes, we get to start talking yes. about some people. <laughs> Okay, so are, we'll you, are you doing sh- finger gestures? Now? Yeah. Oh yes, I always do. <laughs> right. I even ta- I even taught Michael the yes. Okay, so we'll start off by talking about Triple H, and we'll, let's try not to say everything that Max Landis said in his "Wrestling Isn't Wrestling" <laughs> uh, uh, thing, which was another thing that kind of got us into wrestling because it's funny, although it's also by Max Landis problems. So, um, <laughs> in other words, one of the two good things Max Landis has ever done. Yeah, along with the death of Superman. Yeah, it's a hugely entertaining thing, and we're going to try and give you the, the short, short version of it here. Triple H. His real name is Paul Levesque, and uh, he's been around since the mid-90s. And at the very beginning, he was positioned as a fancy gentleman. And uh, so... Uh, a blue blood, yeah. He'd, he'd come in sort of dressed in a, a sort of a tuxedo with... Uh, did he come in with Sable? No, that was a little bit later. Oh, okay, right. So His full I see, name, my... by the way, because tri- Triple H is not a name, is, is Hunter, Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Yeah, 
And so that was his wrestler name back then. So he kept come in with this sort of very sort of superior expression. And like in WrestleMania 12, the Ultimate Warrior came out, threw him down to the mat, and then left. And it was like the triumphant return of the Ultimate Warrior. And like, actually, not, he didn't leave. Triple H sort of got up and walked out quietly and slowly while the Ultimate yeah. Warrior ran if around ever, the ring pointing. If you ever actually get the opportunity, that's how it um him for a long time yeah also didn't help who his best friend was because um, let's just say his best friend was very high up in the card and if he got in trouble it was usually uh poor well hunter that got the uh, punishment i think we can talk about the curtain call i think that's rele- relevant with with paul oh okay it is so, quite significant to his character it's also well, significant to yeah to it's wrestling. really significant to where he is in the business right okay. now neil Give us the curtain call. What the hell happened here? Because I'm just going to be umming and erring. Okay, so at a, what they call a house show at Madison Square Garden, it's a non-televised show. So it's it's kind of like off. I don't want to say off the. It's like an unofficial show in kind of a sense. Um, it's an exhibition match, but nothing particularly yeah. important. Uh, the what you need to know about is a group called the Click. The Click consider the main members of the Click consisted of um, a guy called Razor Ramon. Kevin Nash. Uh, Razor Ramon, by the way, was honoured in this year's Hall of Fame. So Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. By Kevin, Kevin Nash. <laughs> Kevin Nash, Diesel, Triple H. And Shawn Michaels. And Shawn Michaels, who was the big head honcho. Yeah, he was the guy who was like on the ascent, like after Hulkamania. It was like, well, this sexy boy um, is going to be the next big shit. I'll just... Add, by the way, this is how you know that at this stage they hadn't quite worked out how to sell wrestling to women yet. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. He was a, a teenage boy's version of what was sexy. Yeah. Although yeah. I do, I love watching him in the air in his early matches. When he leaps oh, on you, yeah. he's just He was as great. gifted as hell as oh, far as the, the gymnastic and athletic elements were concerned. There's a reason he's called the showstopper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Diesel and Reza Ramona going to WCW, aren't they? That they're left. They've been offered a bare payday at WCW. They're leaving. Yeah. So, what happens is that, or in the final match, it happens. They salute the crowd, and then the crowd, should I say, and then Hunter and Shawn Michaels come out and celebrate with them. They say the goodbyes and goes back. Now you're thinking, why is that an issue? That's kind of makes sense. We see that done a lot now. Uh, this is when kayfabe is pretty or technically was in full effect so it was real they're supposed to hate each other at this point yes some of them are heels and some of them are faces good guys bad guys so heels are bad guys faces are good guys it's just if I drop into terminology for people hence shattering kayfabe wouldn't have been a problem because you know only that crowd in Madison Square sort of got and saw it and maybe a few dirt sheets yeah it got recorded and spread like wildfire yeah they were like this is these guys are hugging but they're supposed to hate each other oh shit wrestling isn't real no <laughs> shit <laughs> sure. it's, it's, the curtain call is is, uh, is pointed out as one of those pivotal moments there is other things like in the end it became a big thing with WCW where they would like is it a work is it a shoot is it kayfabe is it not like how Makes does sense. this play into what the hell happened to Triple H? Because Razor Ramon and Diesel, they've gone. Shawn Michaels is Shawn going Michaels is a star. He can't off. do anything wrong. What about Paul Triple H, the fourth man? Who got all the punishment? Yeah, he got kicked he got in the held- nads for years. He was held back for a long time. He, he was got- taking the fall for this one. It's actually kind of funny because it actually helped in the long run. Mm. Due to Triple H being held back, he was slated to ring- win the King of the Ring, I think want to say in 90 it's either 96 or 97 mm. he didn't do it he he was not he, that was taken away from him and given to somebody else 
that man was a man by the name of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Ooh. That man won the King of the Ring and proceeded to cut the promo. The Austin 316 promo. You talk about your Psalms, you talk about your John 316. Well, Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. That was okay. explanation. Yeah. It was just a thing he caught. It, took, it caught the imagination of the fans, which again meant he went on the rise. Yeah. Well, it was specifically because Jake the Snake had quoted the Bible, and uh, uh, so uh, Austin was like, Well, I just kicked your ass. That's what Austin 316 is. And like that in itself painted him as a rebel who was rebelling against the good book. Yeah, so, uh, so Triple H has been around a while. He, you know, he is also married to Stephanie McMahon. Yeah. Uh, when did he actually marry, in real life, Stephanie McMahon? Oh, it's on one of his DVDs. It's later than a storyline where he married her. Yeah, kidnapped her and married her. I was trying to avoid saying that. Yeah, if you're trying to stop this being sleazy, we're in the Attitude Era, boy. <laughs> yeah. It, you're not getting away from that one. Okay, okay so... He, yes, he kidnapped and married her. But no, they, they ended up getting together and they got married. So Triple H is basically the next in line. No, 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 no. Okay, you jumped over a whole era. So here's the thing. Triple H was the whipping boy for years and he got sick of it. And he actually started ranting about it in like not even in character anymore or in an interview and you know saying how it made him sick how uh, they positioned him as this like that they were kicking him in the nads still for saying goodbye to his friends at a, at a effectively private match and what he ended up developing i don't know how in line with with um i don't want to talk about vince but i don't know how in line with the, the general storyline it was was degeneration x which was it defined the Attitude Era about as much as Stone Cold did. Are you ready? Hey, you think you could tell us what to do? You think you could tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Break it down! It's like wrestling's now about swearing and pointing to our dicks and like saying things your mother wouldn't like. Specifically, if you were going to characterise the Attitude Era, I think it would be fair to say this is when the heels became Mm. the heroes. Yeah, it was the counterculture. The the heroes became cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, like, so Degeneration X came out, and they were they were always saying "suck it," pointing to their dicks, da da da, and they were rude, and there were disgusting storylines to do with them, and it made the teenage boy crowd go crazy because they were like, "My God, that like, we can well, now yeah, do no, stuff." The attitude is is pitch for teens. It yeah. was it, that is the level it was at. Yeah. So one till this on. <laughs> Yo, Jimmy, hit me with that triple H. It 
it's all the good that comes with that and all the bad. Yeah, it was, it was transgressive by its nature, but as a result, that the good that came from that is some really great actual talent rose to the surface and became kind of legendary in their own field. So you got The Rock from that, you got Stone Cold from that, even if they did have shortish careers. The Rock's come back and done quite a few great little exhibitions at WrestleMania. Great little, huge exhibitions at WrestleMania. I mean, little in terms of actual time put in, but it's, it's concentrated, fantastic wrestling. But Triple H has stuck around and actually then transitioned from Whipping Boy to Counterculture Rebel... To eventually... One of the top heels in the company. Yeah. As in the big villain, the big bad. And in that, so he has the... And it's awkward because you don't know how much to tie in with Vince. It's very awkward whether he's there because of Vince or because... The guy is talented, don't get me wrong. You watch a match with that man, Triple H knows what he's doing in the ring. He can... Because we back to the storytelling aspect. Storytelling isn't just done by the way they talk on the microphone, you know, the stories they tell that way and the stories they tell in the ring by the action, it's, he he has it down. He, you know, from the moves to the entrance, which I'll bring up when we get to the match in this, it's part of the storytelling. Hmm. He is fantastic. And, uh, yeah, so he's come to the point, uh, I think it was around 2011 when he actually got given seniority in the company. I don't know how long he, he had to basically pay his dues being a company man up to that Oh, that, that, that guy has paid a lot of dues, and like I said, it's awkward, there's tidy movements, but one of the many great things, he has done many great things since been given that responsibility, and I, he is probably responsible for dragging wrestling, oh, kicking and screaming further forward and being better than what it was. Yeah. So, yeah, much props to him for that. So, Triple H sees himself as this kind of barbarian warrior king. Like, if you've seen Conan the Barbarian, he pictures himself as kind of King Conan, but with a bit of Mola Ram in there as well. Like, like, like he's he's, he's the the guy that... he, He comes out in this particular fight, like, dressed as Skeletor. And he's got this crappy looking, like, classic gold shitty outfit on. That, that 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 school never gets any better. In fact, if you want a real laugh, look at his entrance where it is Terminator entrance. It's freaking hilarious. We did see that. Now, he comes out with this like like the Terminator thing, and that was the one where Schwarzenegger actually got inducted in the Hall of Fame, and they made sure they did a very generous Terminator Genesis coming this summer promo for at that point. So yeah, so Triple H is has positioned himself as this warlord, and because he's not the best wrestler. Rather than being the champion for an extended period of time, he's kind of made himself Goro. Like, he's the one you've got to beat if you want to be big. So that's very pertinent here, because the one he's, you know, he's challenged against at this point is really trying to be not small. Uh, Because Daniel Bryan is this little vegan hairy guy. And when I say little, I mean like really little. He's like five foot three. He's a biscuit taller than me. I don't know. He's about, I think he's about five foot eight. Five foot eight then. Okay. But we're we're talking about like Hulk Hogan is six foot eight. And Hulk Hogan was shorter than Andre the Giant. So like there there are massive men in this ring. And not just massive upwards, massive outwards. Like Brock Lesnar is maybe taller sideways than Daniel Bryan is. So he's this like scrappy little guy. And we didn't actually see him work his way up. So, Neil, you may have to kind of give us the background uh, on this guy. Okay, so so always sort of like... Like, one of the best 
presentation skills they have at WrestleMania is giving you just as much story as you need to watch the match. So they will, rather than just having them come out, they give you flashbacks to what's happened on yeah, Raw in the past year. They give you a video, so. a, a yeah. video that sort of explains the story. And yeah. in this Set one, the stakes. So, Daniel Bryan... Previously on Daniel Bryan. (laughs) I rolled my eyes at that one. (laughs) Worse, I walked into it. Um, So, the the, the abridged version of this is... Daniel Bryan, before becoming to the WWE, is one of the most well-respected independent wrestlers out there. He is, and you will see through this, he is a fantastic wrestler. He is all go. He is is sizzle. That man has got moves and pull moves out of anywhere. And he started out... And then uh, years ago, and he's literally taken this time to build up, and the fans gradually, over the course of the, the years that he's been there, grew to love this man. And I do not say that lightly. You can see in the reactions at this show, the fans love Daniel Bryan because he's an he is, underdog, but enthusiastic with it. He, he literally, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. He is the underdog. He is treated as the underdog. He he is not six foot eight. He is not built like the proverbial brick outhouse. Mm. Yet he wins matches and people loved him, despite what the company tried to do to him. And I don't mean in storyline, I mean the company did not want this man over. Over means to have won the crowd over. The story, I don't know if we're going to the story and what, but here is simple. Triple H does not want Daniel Bryan to succeed. Yeah. The company also wanted that. They did not have faith in Daniel Bryan being a star despite the fact how you see, especially at the show, how over he is with the audience, how much they love him. They chant, yes, and they point their fingers to the sky together, like all in unison. Yes, yes, yes. And he comes out screaming, yes, yes, yes. The year before, because he'd gone through a dark patch, he'd started the no movement. (laughs) How the hell did that happen, and why did it change back around again? Um, Because one was heel Daniel Bryan, and one was face Daniel Bryan. It's... It's, it's awkward to explain. He did the nose because he was getting over. The company didn't want him to get over, so he had to be a bad guy. Uh, but, I mean, characters it, that go through changes are, are often really great yeah. to kind of watch as, well, as also, they progress. Also, because if you, if you look at that as a whole character, because I, I know sometimes when they've done kind of face-heel turns and back again, there's a sense of, of a complete shift in who your character is and you're effectively coming through as a different person. But when you can merge All American badass. With, <laughs> when you can merge that with what I said about putting across just enough of yourself to make it feel authentic the way that comes across to me admittedly as somebody who hasn't seen all of the weekly ins and outs of Daniel Bryan's career progression but it seems like somebody who went through a phase of having a chip on his shoulder because he was frustrated by the fact that he couldn't get to where he wanted to be and then something happened that changed that and changed his perspective on how he engaged with the audience how he behaved in his matches and that improved his Standing and elevated him to where he is now. Yeah, that from a storyline, very true. Hmm. Behind the scenes, not so much. The guy is one of the best wrestlers they had, and I mean that as in the ring, in the the feats that on he a technical performed. level. Then, and I'll tell you, he'd have to be to be able to stand up against guys that were like a third again as big as him. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, and he, and, uh, and people loved him because of that. Uh, 
some of it plays into the fact the audience were very tired. And McMahon always has this habit of feeding certain stereotypical um, baby faces to you. And people were tired of that. And they chose a hero. That hero was CM Punk, who succeeded for a little while and then left. And the fans needed a new hero. Enter Daniel Bryan. The fans really cottoned on with Daniel Bryan. They loved him. No matter whether he was face or heel, they loved him. So in the inevitable things that happen. To the point that you should look up the, the fans, not the wrestler, the fans hijacked a segment. And I don't mean the one you see in the video. It's uh, only briefly mentioned. There was a, a match that was going to take place between John Cena and Randy Orton. And the fans just kept chanting Daniel Bryan to the point where Cena <laughs> had to take control of the segment, had a chat with Daniel Bryan, and then got the segment back on track. It's actually well worth a watch. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, the the audience are really, really in love with Daniel Bryan, and um, they they've been. It's almost like Triple H has been either in real life or in kayfabe strong armed by the crowd into Both. yes, I'll face Daniel Bryan if you want. But from like what you said about CM Punk, from the sounds of it, the ideal was going to be this time I'll face CM Punk if he wants to be big, he'll have to fight Triple H. I think that was the original idea. It's, yeah. Again, it's, it's quite a few years ago, so I can't remember. We'll talk about that if we talk about CM Punk in, in detail, and he's definitely worth to, uh, discussing. So, uh, th- th- this was the way that Triple H set this up. There are going to be two fights. This first one, me versus Daniel Bryan. The second one, at the end of WrestleMania, whoever wins this one goes on to, f- uh, to a triple threat match with Batista and Randy Orton. So, it'll be three men versus each other. Whoever wins this and those guys. So this is Brian fighting for his life to beat Triple H. And Triple H fighting to, to smack down Brian. But both of them have got to save energy because they can't give it their all. If they give it their all, they'll have nothing left at the end. Yeah, and, the, and what you missed there in the triple threat is for the title. Yeah. The World Wrestling Federation It's title. not just the a, a match, it's the belt. Yeah. So this is a really kind of like, you know, built up match. And now we can actually kind of uh, talk about it. So Triple H comes out dressed as Skeletor and like uh, the, he's got this brilliant motor. Like, it's one of my favorite intros. He's got this motorhead, like custom piece of music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. has a song by Motorhead as his entrance yeah because he's um, you know the, the head honcho and he can have whatever he wants and so the way Triple H enters a ring of, uh, he sometimes dresses as Skeletor first maybe he doesn't but if it, when it, he stalks down takes a swig of water from a, a water bottle stands on the side of the ring and then the lights sort of strobe flash and he sprays water all over himself and goes Urgh! so it's like he's got this mist coming down it's a, it's a really ostentatious, like, I am the Lord, yeah. type, type thing. 
which isn't necessarily in line with his actual wrestling ability, which is kind of, oh, bloody hell, a lot of the time, because he's not he's the best wrestler. One, yes. yeah. He's now one, yes, where he's a lot older yeah. and he can't do as he used to. I mean, his other nicknames are The Game, as meaning he is the best. The King of Kings, I am the best wrestler. So this whole persona of Triple H is exactly what you say and again it's down to storytelling the entrance is telling you a story straight away this is the big boss this is the big man i am the greatest i am the hardest i am goliath yeah and you daniel bryan are david (laughs) and we all know how that story ended up whenever you watch something like that and guy comes out going i am king of kings in my gold skeletal face mask immediately okay this guy is massively insecure does not feel like he deserves his position in the slightest he's just trying to convince everybody that he does and that's why max landis loves him so much because he's so obviously insecure uh, despite being incredibly ostentatious. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know he's the villain, Triple H, that is. <laughs> anyway, no, but um, in, in real life, Paul does play up to this ridiculous oh, character superbly, and it is ex- always extremely watchable. And, you know, he's really pretty good at the sort of back-and-forth talk. Like, he's this, he's oh, quite yeah. crude in the way he, he, he does it. He's often got Stephanie there, his wife, who plays this... Villainess, bitchy uh, executive woman, uh, you know, to to a T, and, and tends to get really slappy with people as Which well. That's I her have thing. To say, Stephanie McMahon has got one of the most thankless tasks. Oh, yeah. in the entirety of the rest. She's universe. constantly the wicked witch of the West. Yeah, <laughs> you say that people genuinely love her and think mm. she's one of the best heels going. There's issues with it. Don't get me wrong, but people love her as a heel because her and Triple H are are naturally very good at being these heelish characters. Yeah. Mm. They are great at being the villains. They're great at making you want to hate them, which yeah. is their job. Yeah. But this is the thing. I think you've got to... The way it comes across to me is that to, to play a heel and to do it successfully, and particularly the people who were heels for very long periods of time, you have to love what you're doing because you are effectively begging people to hate you and to be able to do that for extended periods there's got to be something really positive elsewhere in your life Mm. oh yeah so uh, then Daniel Bryan comes out and he's, he's, his thing is this, uh, this rocky version of Flight Ride of the Valkyries. And yes. so he comes out and he's r- bouncing sideways, popping his fingers in the air. Yes, yes, yes. And so he goes up to the match with Triple H. And the first thing that happens, as I recall, like, doesn't Triple H extend his hand in, in like, um, greeting to Daniel Bryan? And they, the, the commentators, um, Jerry the King Lawler, and who's that? Cowboy hat guy? Uh, John Bradshaw Layfield. Let's not talk about him. Yeah, I really immediately didn't like him. The first time I ever saw him talk was when he was introducing the Briscoe Brothers, who are of Native American extraction. And the first thing out of his fucking gob was an Indian joke concerning Slap-A-Hoe. He just really strikes me as, Oh, they don't mind me making fun. They're two of the good ones. That kind of guy. I, I miss JR in this in WrestleMania 30. Though we do at least get Jerry the King Lawler. Okay, sure. Cliff notes. Everyone else agrees with you. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> no, no one liked him as a commentator. Good. Right. Okay. So I'm not crazy then. That's good. Right. So so Daniel Bryan. Like, so they remind you that the last time um, uh, Triple H extended a hand, he then stuck handcuffs on Daniel Bryan. So Daniel Bryan kicks him in the hand and then throws him out of the ring. And then when Triple H is down the bottom, Daniel Bryan offers him a hand. 
and then it just it, it kicks off they kick the living crap out of each other it goes on for a, a, a while and Daniel Bryan's up against the ropes and Triple H is giving it his all because this is a match that Daniel Bryan is destined to win and he does beat Triple H and it is triumphant and it is this David Felling Goliath moment and the the yes 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 then sets you up for the rest of WrestleMania because you're then thinking yes now Daniel Bryan gets to move this forwards but we've now seen WrestleManias where what feels like a sure thing suddenly gets yanked out from under you mm. and the the tail end of that match as well and the fact that um, Triple H and Stephanie come down on him and there's almost this sense of he's proved he can do this yeah. he hammers at this match he will not quit he keeps going and going and going he has an injured shoulder yeah absolutely he is effectively at one point throwing himself bodily yeah. at Triple H over and over and over Yeah, he goes again. back for more. Like, like He's like, I'm just going to go back in, throw myself over, go back in, throw myself over. Yeah, his, the, his the, style would later come back to haunt him. Oh, wow. Oh, two years. Yeah. But the, the, um, the character that he's putting across is this guy who absolutely will not stop. He is just a dynamo. But the feeling at the end is that but it doesn't it may not matter how determined he is how talented he is they will not let him win yeah and they play it very well as you, as you said the after the match after he's like he's won and everything's yay stephanie comes into the ring and slaps him and he doesn't react he just kind of smiles at her and then he gets punked shortly afterwards dragged against the uh, uh the post by uh, triple h who wangs his shoulder against the steel post so that then, in terms of, of, of how, what that does to the story, you're now thinking, okay, so he did beat Triple H, but rather than just, yeah, he's going to beat those other two, you're left looking at him injured and hurting, and like the jaws of victory just, he's been snatched away and tossed aside, and you're like, was that even really a win? He's still on the gauntlet, which is a really great moment of tension. Mm. And they sustain it for the whole show. Yeah. So, and that's what they've gone for. That's that's the storytelling element. Mm. You know, they, like the package says, they they built the authority. Hunter and Steph see him as a B plus player, not a main event guy. Should be nowhere near the title. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The B plus player just beat the big star. Yeah, the big star who has an ego, who cannot handle loss. Therefore, decks him to make sure that the mm. B plus player doesn't have a chance in the final. Triple H is a, is a scumbag when it comes to wrestling, and, and he's really predictable as well. Um, so, uh, JR said, um, who's the other commentator who's not here, uh, you know, oh, he's, he's probably, th- he's got seven plans here, he's always thinking ahead, Triple H. And I'm like, I'm assuming plan three is get the sledgehammer out, plan four is get the sledgehammer back after someone throws it aside. Uh, like, he, he tends plans to... three through eight all involve the sledgehammer in some way or other. He fights his opponent to a standstill. Wow, he can't... actually got him nailed pretty spot on, to be fair. He can't beat them. He goes under the ring, he gets a sledgehammer, and then he starts to move towards them. And then, obviously, he doesn't hit a wrestler with a sledgehammer, but... But this is the he's behind you moment. This yeah. is the thing. Everybody knows it's going to happen. Yeah. They're waiting for it to happen. They're happy uh, when go it Go get the sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, that Triple H versus Undertaker in the uh, twenty-eight uh, WrestleMania was pretty fantastic, actually. Um, <clears throat> anyway, who is John Cena? I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to need a drink on this one. Hold on. Come on. 
Okay. Now I assume Neil, are you backing off on the Cena thing because you don't want to say bad things about uh, the guy that we love? Oh no, I just can't stand John Cena. Okay. Um, well, that's thank you. That's very diplomatic. Let us explain who John Cena is, and then once we've established that, uh, if you need to add something to sort of put a caveat on that, please. Okay. Uh, let me let, let me rephrase this. In the ring, I do not like John Cena. Out of the ring, I think he is a fantastic human being who has done a lot of good things. And I like the man, I think he's funny, and I think he's going to be a fairly good talent in films. But in the ring, I cannot stand him. Okay, we've had a different experience, and I think I've figured out why. First off, I'm, I'm relieved that he's not one of these nasty guys that uh, you were going to sort of drop a bomb on us and go, Oh, by the way, did you not know? John Cena hates puppies. And just like uh, this, uh, this uh, YouTube video of John Cena just kicking puppies into a canyon... But as far as I know, as far as I know, John Cena is a is a very nice man. He loves puppies. Okay, so John Cena originally came out as this kind of like little scrappy rap kid, uh, and like he sings his own intro music. Yeah, Sharon's laughing here because like she's like little I just scrappy got rap kid. Of him in skater shorts, and then I thought, oh yes, yes, he still yes. wears skater shorts. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the John Cena character used to be in the army, but in real life he wasn't. He is, in effect, a walking tribute to the troops. Effectively what they made Steve Rogers do in the first Captain America. So after being a scrappy rap kid, he was uh, portrayed as the soldier boy. And he changed his body type to, to match. He's got, like, he's much more sort of muscular up top. He's actually got this kind of odd fighting stance because he's so big up top. He's like a Dorito. <laughs> oh, trust me, when they say, do, do, do you lift, watch that man power lift. He is a, I will give him credit there. He... Wow. Dude's got he it, does. yeah. But it's, I, I was watching, like, we've got the John Cena Blu-ray as well, and I was watching his routine, and he wasn't just, like, lifting. He, there was one way he was just holding one-arm press-ups, but, like, he was using another his hand to move large weights from one place to the other, so he's got this tactile ability as well, which is obviously extremely important if you're making small movements with very heavy things in a ring where people might break stuff. Mm-hmm. Most impressive feats. It's bit, he's done it several times now, so it gets less impressive every time you've seen it. He has, um, well, it was FU then. It's the attitude adjustment now. Yeah, he has done that to the big show. Jesus. Okay, the attitude adjustment is where you lift a dude above your head and then tip him sideways and drop him straight. Yeah, you onto get him the onto mat. your shoulders and flip him off. Yeah. So the legs go over your head and he yeah. goes sort of a straight line, lands flat on his back. Yeah. He's done that to the big show, who at one point was 500 freaking pounds. Side so note on the big show, we can't really talk about him much, although he was in the uh, Royal Rumble. Really lovely guy in, in real life. Like every time they try and position him as, as, a, as mean in the ring, I'm like, oh, you aren't really, though, are you? <laughs> every time what someone gives a, 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 a moving speech, at the Hall of Fame, they cut to Big Show and he's booing his eyes out. He is a sweetheart underneath. Another star of the Royal Rumble in WrestleMania 30, which again, we don't have that much time to talk about. Uh, Kofi Kingston. Keep your eye on the guy in the neon green. He's thrown out of the ring, but one foot is on the bottom step, so he's lying on his back and he pointed his one foot as though to say, not out of the ring yet, and then gets back in and does some spectacular capoeira twirling. And that's one of those emergent moments of fun that couldn't have been planned. So yeah, that's Kofi Kingston, one of our favourites. And the triple man tag team, the New Day that he's part of, are extremely funny. So anyway, John Cena is Captain America or Superman, with a little bit of magic mic thrown in there. 
And yeah, he's, he's the wrestling version of that. Uh, yeah. It's actually a really good summation of it. Um, and uh, now I think this is great for us because we've seen three or four WrestleManias that John Cena's been in and uh, one or two of his matches. It is crappy, I would imagine, for wrestling fans watching Raw week in, week out. If John Cena wins all the time, his character doesn't change, he's never challenged, and he's positioned as the hero, but rather than Kurt Angle, where they were like, right, well, obviously this guy is like a pompous tool, their point is that John Cena is a force for good. So all the kids love him, and all the the quote-unquote grown-ups are like, boo, boo on you, you suck, Cena, do some work. So... It's irritation at the fact that he is being portrayed as this jammy git who wins all the time and... Uh, never changes. And never changes, yeah. Whereas the kids love him because he's a rock. Not like the rock. He is a rock that they can hold on to and go, yeah. this is cardinal virtue. Yeah. This is a good man. Yeah. yeah. And he has actually said himself in, the, in, in his promo DVD that he is a little uncomfortable with the fact that he is sort of this big face push and that he would really love it if they would get some other guys up there to do sort of similar things to what he's doing. <coughs> oh, yeah. oh, oh, they're trying. They're trying. It ain't working. Because <laughs> we've had over 10 years of this. We don't want John Cena Mark version 2, otherwise known as Roman freaking Reigns. I like Roman Reigns, but again, I've only seen him in a couple in a couple of WrestleManias. Again, this is the, this is the point, though. You are you, but in your summation of John Cena and why the main fans don't like him, nail head perfectly. Good. I mean, I, I, like I said, like not being able to get to Wikipedia drives me nuts. I need to know this stuff, so I have to like gather it by osmosis from as many no, sources no, as I, I can. Uh, but. Uh, no, I think you hit the nail on the head perfectly there like I said in the ring I do not like John Cena at the ring I think he's a fantastic guy I generally respect everything he does but he does seem to tie in very specifically with this very pro-family kid-friendly brush your teeth and eat your vitamins yeah yeah, exactly. It's kind of circled back around again. Um, but this seems to be a particular move um, on Stephanie's part to really promote them as mm. mums, it's okay to let your kids watch wrestling. Yeah. Because if they don't get that audience, they are scuppered because they're, they're, the teenagers in the 90s are going to age out real fast. Imagine if Disney went through a horrible dark phase of trying to appeal only to late 90s teenagers. What do you mean, imagine? Oh, <laughs> oh I mean, you mean DC, DC movies? Yeah, there is that comparison, actually. But now they've kind I'm of... I'm a DC fanboy, and I say the movies are bad. Yeah. Um, I, it feels like uh, the Attitude Era was closer, possibly, to Suicide Squad. It feels like that's a dreadful disservice yeah, to the incredible no. actors, but... No, yeah. that, of the Attitude yeah. Era, not the Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Margot Robbie's great, but well, uh, yes. say Margot Robbie and Will Smith. Yeah, uh, and it's great to see Margot Robbie Mark II, AJ Lee in this B- Divas uh, match. Anyway, well, yeah, that's so blatant, but it's hilarious. <sighs> yeah, um, I, I like on a side note, by the way, I really like AJ Lee, and as soon as I was like, you know what, I'm a big a- AJ Lee fan. I think I'm going to follow her. Ca- oh, she's already retired. Fuck. <laughs> married to cm punk yeah yeah lucky lucky guy um yeah she's wildly talented and makes an appearance in wrestlemania 30 
Okay, so John Cena is Goody Two Shoes Soldier Boy. And he's up against this time Bray Wyatt, who we'd never heard of before. And we were like, who's this guy? He looks like this grinning tit on the uh, front cover. And he is a grinning tit. And he's this really creepy, oily, like backwoods, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Cult leader. Cult leader, fedora wearing, grinning, like gibbering, like horrible little man. Played by uh, a guy named, uh, hold on, uh, Wyndham Rotunda. <laughs> and, um. <laughs> what? Sorry. Oh, I could drop. Uh, do you want me to drop some knowledge? His brother's in the wrestling business as well. Yeah. So was his dad. Yeah. Uh, who, who are they? So, so his brother is, um, if you look up Bo Dallas, mm-hmm. that is Bright that is Wyatt's brother. Okay. And his dad was was IRS. Oh, Owen R. Scheister. Yes. Wow. Okay, so he's obviously coming from a, a, a family of heels. So we'd never seen Bray Wyatt, so we have this introduction, and it's like this, it's like quick, quick, quick cuts, and it's this like sort of crappy barn with a rocking chair, and Bray Wyatt's like rocking back and forth in it. He's got this filthy beard and a straw fedora, and he's like going, ha, John Cena, oh, there's a monster in you. And he's trying to... So at this point, I'm convinced that the match is just going to consist of him handcuffing John Cena to one of the posts and leaving him with a hacksaw. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, tis not a glory hole, tis more of a gory hole. He's like a Jim Sterling character, much like Stardust. Like he's something who should be in. Did you did you play the recent Resident Evil Biohazard game? Uh, I'm very familiar with it. Right, he feels like he sort of belongs there with the family, like this like yes. messed oh, up is. horror, but there's kind of comedy elements in there too. And not for nothing, him coming on like someone who obsesses over a celebrity and wants to destroy them. Bray Wyatt, especially in this match is the definition of toxic fandom. Smug, arrogant, filthy, hairy, contemptuous, empty white male who wants to puppeteer the world. And that blew my mind. Yes, you know, that, that is, again, uh, an excellent summation of Bray Wyatt. Yeah. He is charismatic cult leader, talks in weird ways, but is talks in a way that engrosses you, mm. the, whether you want to or not. There's other similarities with a, a character f- uh, whom I always uh, like to call Papa Shango, who was racially charged. Like, he's a voodoo magic man. So uh, he was... Yeah. Then they that changed that magic. character to... They retired that character, and then he was the godfather, who was just a horrible 90s version of a pimp. So it's like, well, that's not so much a step forward. 
But uh, but the, Bray Wyatt is white, so it's fine. He can do whatever voodoo shit he likes, and that's not racially charged because we can make fun of. Uh, and the WWE has, in fact, made fun of rednecks a lot. But it feels like they get winbacks with characters like Steve Austin, where it's like, no, I'm a real man. And so it's like, these guys are just clowns, and Stone Cold is positioned as like the, the guy you definitely want to have a beer with, even if he might break someone's leg at the table. Oh, um, you a stunner. Yeah, just a stunner. So Bray Wyatt claims that there is a monster inside John Cena, and he wants to bring it out of him, and he wants to destroy John Cena. And so uh, John's... Uh, like John Cena enters second, but Bray Wyatt turns up first, and he like turn, comes in with a lantern, and there's this really creepy, weird music catching flies, and, it's, and he's got these two creepy gonks with him. This guy who always wears a lamb mask, and his like weird staring brother slash uncle who's got this massive beard they're like his cultists and they follow him out there and it's like how the hell can this guy beat John Cena and then John Cena turns up and, he, and it's like bang and he does his fantastic intro as usual which is always the same and then he does that thing where he runs down the runway and jumps and slides into the ring it's so fucking awesome wanders around uh, uh, sort of like, shout, like pointing at people getting the love and then like when it rounds up to another he sort of throws his arms up gives these two perfect symbols just to show how perfect he is and it's always the same every time and I get it that's not what people who want change and, 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 and writing want to see week to week but for a couple of Wrestlemanias in a row it feels like this wonderful dependable show to be able to watch I think I'm probably going to get tired of him once I've seen him for his 8th Wrestlemania Unless he changes. But that's the thing. First thing that happens, Bray Wyatt drops to his knees, chucks a chair at John Cena, and goes, Come on, destroy me, John Cena. Come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. He's screaming, finish me, before they've even begun. And John Cena's sort of looking down at him in this kind of... like. It's a challenge for the actual real-life John Cena to kind of stay on point, stay a wrestler, stay stay the good guy, and not break character with the weirdness that's happening. So they throw each other around a lot, and Bray Wyatt's got this really raw kind of wrestling style. It feels like he shouldn't be able to go up against this guy with his massive upper body and the fact that he beats everyone all the time. But he's like this not like underhanded and like cool type of movements and he's got this thing called Sister Abigail's Kiss where he kind of bends you backwards and does like an arm lock around your neck like throttles you whilst you're hanging sideways it's gross and he does this thing where he sort of like walks towards John Cena crab style like Reagan and the Exorcist on his hands but what John Cena's challenged here to do is to beat him without easily beating him he's saying you can strike me down with all of your hatred and your journey towards the dark side will be complete. The narrative that's being pushed here is that there is an ugly, angry monster inside John Cena, and you do actually start to see something that might suggest that that's true, which puts a note of caution on the match, especially for the kids watching. They're like, no, John Cena, say it ain't so. So this guy's like a, a gibbering, laughing mess on the floor, and the harder John punches him, the more he loses. Absolutely spot on for the, uh, what this match is meant to be. It is. It is. It is Bray trying to get him to embrace the hate. It was a good T-shirt, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, 
you know that is a good way of surmising it, 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 it's it, it's Bray trying to get him to cheat to be dirty to be heelish to give in to the temptation to do it the easy way and it's all that scene anger and it's yes. it sums up that attitude of this is what I this is what is in me I believe therefore that it is in everybody and yes. b- but because deep down I feel like it's bad that it's in me, it makes me feel better to drag it out of other people. That's the Joker in The Dark Knight. He believes yes. everyone's as twisted and horrible as him on the inside. All it takes is one bad day. One bad day. So, yeah, much credit to, um, to Wyndham Rotunda for really staying in character through this greasy, horrible guy. At one point, he's got Cena on the mat. He's like... Like Cena's exhausted, and he sort of cradles his head in his hands and goes, "He's got the hole in his head. He got the hole in his head. He got the hole." It's so like skin crawling to watch because it's not that he's incredibly good at fighting. It's not that he's this force of death, this unstoppable like villain it's that he's kind of like getting under your skin and like you could keep hitting him and he'll keep laughing and it's really disconcerting and like you have nothing nothing to do with all your strength and that makes it a challenge for the unchallengeable it makes it difficult for John Cena to you know rather than just be up against because he went up against The Rock for two years in a row and had to really work at it um, and I won't spoil how either of those matches ended up because they're great to watch in WrestleMania's 28-29. But at this point, he's it, 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 it harkens back to a moment. Like but by the end, he's got he like picks up the steps at the side of the ring while Bray's on the gr- on the ground outside and he's like you know holding them above his head and kind of a Ugh! and it's like Superman when he goes bad in Superman three and it's like oh god can we get Clark Kent out of this? But it's also like. There's a Roddy Piper versus Bret Hart match where... Yeah, WrestleMania 8. Bingo, thank you. Where Piper, who was, you know, see, always a heel, but like he was the people's heel, um, was up against a guy who was way better than him. And, and, you know, because Hart had the excellence of execution, he was a very good technical wrestler, very good at grappling. And uh, Roddy was up against it, and he had to start cheating to, to win. And by the end, he's got Hart on the ground, and he holds up the bell to smack him down with... And then there's this moment. We saw this on this really fantastic uh, YouTube video, which uh, informed us about, uh, amongst other things, the Golden Lovers. It's totally worth seeing as a supplement to this. It is called Why Professional Wrestling is Fascinating by Super Eyepatch Wolf. And there's this moment where Roddy's like, I can do this, I can win. And then the crowd are booing him and he realises, because this is the time when people didn't realise wrestling wasn't real. And they're like, no, Roddy. Because they're they're still booing these days for for that kind of thing. People still really lean into the whole wrestling is real. Uh, And in in certain ways we'll mention in a bit. Um, And Roddy thinks to himself, nah, this is not how I want to win this. And he throws the bell aside, carries on with the fight, and Brett beats him. And then Brett goes on to become... uh, The tables end up turning on Brett as well. And he ends up being the villain later on for someone else. But he gets beaten honourably. And that's a journey for Piper. So Cena's there holding up the steps. Shall I smash this guy's head in? And eventually he just tosses the thing, steps aside and goes, No, I can't do that. 
but I am going to kick your ass. And then he throws him back into the ring and says, you know, let's do this properly. He gets tempted with the chair again. Bray's screaming at him to destroy me. John appears to be sorely tempted, but then the gonk cultist followers start creeping in on the sides, and John uses the chair to twat them away because they were about to cheat, and he's all about not cheating. So he gets rid of them, then wins the match fair and square. But it's it's a hard one win, and it really affects him because when when the, the the bell rings and his music plays, he's not just going, "Yeah, I won." He's kind of sitting there on the mat, exhausted emotionally as well as physically. And it's a real test. And I, you know, I, this was only my second Cena fight that I'd seen. And it's fan-bloody-tastic. You surmised that match in such a brilliant way that I have to give you credit for. So <laughs> I think, that, and this is the problem that when you get to a certain point after watching wrestling for so long, getting yeah. into the ins and outs of it, you do become jaded. Yeah. And you, you surmised that, that match in a bloody fantastic way well that's why this one's a really good entry point and I do worry that I will get to the stage where I've watched too much and I kept like we, I watched a box set of Wrestlemania's 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 and 17 we watched 17 first because that's the best but then I watched the others like in a row once a night for the next week and by the end I was like <sighs> enough <laughs> with the face blood <laughs> Because that was the attitude era. And it just exhausted me. But, you know, that's not the way to watch WrestleMania. You don't watch them every day, and not sequentially. No. It just it weighs down on you eventually. Uh, sequentially could be hard as well because you get to see the style evolve from a very slow, pondering style to the fast-paced action that you see, say, at this yeah. WrestleMania. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, jumping around does have its merits as well because you can compare and contrast sometimes violently between the two, uh, two or three or four or five different eras. And we've got a whole bunch of other ones left to see. But I wanted to get this one done so that we had it out there as an entry point for people so that people could make their own journeys and decide how much wrestling they liked. And, you know, I, I, I'm very pleased with what it's, what's happened so far with it because we've got the exact kind of enthusiasm, the yes movement, if you will. That, uh, that I wanted. Apologies for the sound quality for this section of the podcast. I think Neil had his fan on to stop him from dying in the heat. So there will be a rushing sound. Okay, so, next one's a big one. Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker. Brock Lesnar, we don't need to talk about that much. He is your stereotypical UFC fighter. He looks like a giant thumb. He is this massive, like no neck, like his head, like pokes out of his body. He's got these steely little piggy eyes. He's got massive fists and this massive chest. He's got like a dagger tattoo across the middle. He doesn't really (laughs) say anything apart from, I am here to inflict pain. He lets Paul Heyman, his manager, be the... the (laughs) Pretty much the slightly more down-to-earth Paul Bearer. Like he's, he's got the gem of Citarac lodged in his chest. Oh, wait, no. He's the juggernaut! Yes! That he's is the juggernaut! Good, no, that is a really good way of describing how they've made Brock Lesnar, uh, yeah. how they presented him. He's he's not, like, really a guy you cheer for. He's just a guy that when your guy goes into the ring against him, you're like, oh, shit. You're chewing your fingers going, how are you he gonna can't do this? come out of this one alive. Because Lesnar is tough as shit, and he has won a lot of matches hard. And also, he's been wrestling. Like, if, 
It feels like he's relatively new to the scene to us, but he's been wrestling since 2000, like in, in the off circuit, and then WWE 2002, and then some UFC. Yeah, he's been, he's been he's been all over the world, and he's been in UFC. He uh, don't get me wrong, this guy is unique anyway. He mm. is a talent. He, he is. But the way you, you comparing to the general is again spot on. This hmm. is how it's been portrayed since he came back. The is a, let's just say there's a match. I think it's a SummerSlam match against John Cena. You want to watch that because it's it's amazing. It's simple but amazing. <sighs> Who is the Undertaker? That's it's a question for the ages. Do this. we have an hour? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, to really summarise this down to it, like to potent rather than elongated terms, um, The Undertaker is one of the longest-running wrestlers who actually spans all three eras that I just mentioned. He was in the Golden Era, kind of like the tail end of that. Like I said, it went into the the early '90s to, to mid '90s. He was um, kind of this theatrical, like sort of you know, bing, and like he had this little manager, this shrieking little guy holding oh, yeah, an ankle. called Paul Bearer, who was actually in his earlier life a Paul Bearer. And he would do much of the talking for this big, like, not-speaking, hulking, still at the time, pretty youngish, red-headed guy with these big purple gloves and this sort of, like, you know, big, round, black hat. And he was kind of positioned in somewhere between a gunslinger and a bit of, like, a preacher, and, and, you know, he was born in Death Valley. And then later he was born in Austin, Texas. Yeah, we, we don't talk about the bugger red stuff. We <laughs> kind of got to briefly touch on it. During the Attitude Era, the, the Undertaker's shtick, his whole Lord of Death, didn't really wash with the fans, or at least... Like, it did with the Kane stuff, but there was a time when he became the American Badass. And this was weird to watch for Sharon Knight, yes. because we'd been watching the classic Deadman Undertaker as he is now, and remembering him from the 90s as he was then, and then suddenly he turns up on a frickin' Harley, he's like, I'll make you famous, and he's just doing Austin, and it's, it's like, I, I get it, sometimes being the Deadman is going to be exhausting, but it's, it's a lot less of a, an impressive presence. I he's, say by that point, you're probably doing that, that, that character for so long you probably needed the break. yeah i, I appreciate yeah, that jog. he had it because when he came back he like doubled down on the on the, the dead man thing but yeah it, it, he's like i've got a bandana blue jeans little leather waistcoat it's he's still the same guy and he has most of the same style but he's a lot more t- like he talks now and he's like sort yeah. of you know oh you don't want to get in a fight with me man there's a whole can of worms man and it's like it's, yeah this is my yard and I got yeah. my soup bones there's a, there's a lot of like in the Attitude Era kind of like you are starting a bar fight in, in shit kick nowhere and you're probably going to get the shit kicked out of you in like three seconds flat by these giant men that's the narrative they're spinning there. The irony being that back in the golden era, that was actually happening once the wrestling matches had finished and everybody went off to the bars. So... But then when he came back, he was the dead man again. And then they, like I say, doubled down on theatricality. His intros at WrestleMania in particular, you know, post that period, are always fantastic. They've got... This incredible... Like you know, organ theme playing out, the most recognisable theme tunes yeah. of any of them. They've got lights, they've got smoke, they've Fire. got fireworks, fireworks and, and just purple tunes. And in this fight, 
He's never lost a WrestleMania. He hasn't been at all of them. He's only been at 21 so far of the 29. But that's still loads of them. That is a streak. That it, is. That's why it's, it's the streak. And they start off with 21 on the billboard, then dash zero. Just to illustrate, before we start this fight, this streak has just, never been broken. I just realized, once you take a match at WrestleMania, if you go back, you're going to be really boring. Yes. Yes, they are, Neil. Well, they're not They're not boring, but I'm like, okay, so, uh, Lyra, we've got The Undertaker here versus Austin, so we oh, know how that's going to turn. Oh, wait you see the giant Gonzalez match. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. So we know that he's going to win each time, every time statistically in all of the 21 WrestleMania appearances because you know at this point it's like oh like you know this is your entry point you're like is the streak going to be broken this year and it's like we've already seen WrestleMania 28 when he went up against Triple H and it was a tight one but at the he, he still you know won the day out so not only did they show the 21-0 they show the coffins of everyone he has buried over these 21 WrestleMania multiple times audience members with placards mm. with the street numbers on them everywhere yeah. and this is this is another thing I just want to mention the placards at this point by the way because I have to say a lot of them are just really unimaginative and there's just arrows pointing to their own head and their name because it's like yay look mum I'm on TV um, hey mum <laughs> oh, you haven't seen Wank Pheasant yet, though. But, oh, oh, we, we, we saw, saw Wank Pheasant. Pheasant. <laughs> I was like, who was the Wank Pheasant? in the audience. <laughs> who was the Wank Pheasant? Oh, uh, Roman Reigns yeah, is Roman a Wank Pheasant. Brilliant. <laughs> Lyra asked what that was. Yeah. And we said, well, a pheasant is a bird. <laughs> and Wank? Well. Well, bedtime, bedtime, bedtime. <laughs> it's a dictionary. It's yeah. four in the afternoon. Bed, early bedtime. <laughs> but yeah, WrestleMania fans. My God, are these guys creative with their placards? Like, I'm pretty sure most people seem to turn up at WrestleMania with a big stack of A3 card oh, and a pack yeah. of markers, and they just do them as they go along. Yeah, that would make I've sense. I've seen an Alan Partridge sign once, I swear to God. <laughs> really? Oh, my uh-huh. God. So, anyway. Um, Get that man in the Hall of Fame. He comes out and it's all of these coffins, and he's going up against this giant thumb, and you th- you're thinking, okay... He is getting on, though. Like, he is, like, 50-something years old at this point. This could be the one. And then he takes off his his cowl, and he's got this, like... He looks like a pot roast underneath. Like, especially in, in HDR. Um, like, the, all the reds, all the bloods in, in, in his face are just popping. So he's got this beetroot red head, and he's got these giant eyes glaring at Brock Lesnar when they're not rolling back into his head. And Lesnar is unshakable. And there's one bit when he's like got his eyes back in his head and he t- cuts to Lesnar and he goes, eh, and like twitches his head in a kind of a eh, moment. Because like even he, this unstoppable force, is slightly intimidated by the dead man. But there's, there's no way to really describe how important this guy is to wrestling and to wrestling fans. He's, he's you know, arguably the most significant of all of them, well, it, over over the rock, over Stone Cold, over even Hulk Hogan. It comes back to that thing that I was saying about the pantomime element of it. There, there is there are certain things that people have come to expect that when you come to a WrestleMania, what you are going to see is the Undertaker beat somebody. The Undertaker's going to take your career to the grave. It's the constant. It's the thing that you know you can rely on. Very sadly, the year before Paul Bearer died. And they actually tied it in with the with the plot. CM Punk stole his urn and like beat the Undertaker up with it and poured ashes on him. And it was almost like this is in such poor taste. 
But I feel like Paul Bearer would approve. <laughs> that is actually the general consensus that uh, I think it was. I think his name's like Chris Pringle or something like that. Um, he would, yeah. He w- he lived the business, so he'd been fine with that. But yeah, yeah. it was just. Yeah, I even sometimes they do stuff like that where I'm like, mm, I That's feel uncomfortable yeah. doing that. Mm. Well, yeah. yeah, some things like um, like John Cena referring to his divorce as as part. Of yeah, the he got why. beaten once by someone and was like, "This is, I know, I've had a divorce because I can't be beaten." And it's like, oh, dude, that's, you know, let's let's not drag the wife into this and and have the fans go, "You divorced John Cena because he lost." It's like that's not what he said, even in the lie. But anyway, um, so The Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. And it's like a real boom, boom, meaty slugger match. And they really kick the fuck out of each other. And this is, this is how badly they kick the ever-loving hell out of each other. I think it's about, I can't remember how soon it is into the match. The Undertaker suffers a concussion. Yeah, he actually had to be taken away uh, to hospital after this with a genuine concussion. Mm. And um, the results of the match were predetermined by Vince just a few days before like this was not originally going to be planned to, to be what that was they certainly didn't plan for him to have a concussion but it's a serious punch up and it's um, you know like I say Undertaker's been doing this for years but Lesnar is a heavy hitter and they, they try everything on each other and the Undertaker tombstones him I think twice which is like a pile driver where he gets you and he points your head downwards and then like sits on you uh, uh, what's, what's Lesnar's thing it's like the K9 or something the, uh, the, uh, the F5 F5 yeah uh, where he uh, just like, like picks you up and then throw. it's kind of similar oh no he just like tosses you in the air and you crash down and, and they go at each other like that and uh, the Undertaker has this thing where when he tries to pin you at the very end when it seems like he's totally got you and then they kick out which if you aren't into wrestling will become a thing that you start to watch and like you start to lean forward and you go oh just as they kick out it's really entertaining but the undertaker has this way of sitting up with really wide eyes at that point every time that happens like a, like it, it and, and like cuz he doesn't speak everything is has to be very expressively on his face like how do i beat this guy i've i've thrown everything at him how do i beat this guy there's it's a the sit up. Yeah, the, there you go. There that's was a, what it's referred to. It's the sit up. Okay, so that's a thing because he goes up against Bray Wyatt next year, and there's a point where Bray Wyatt tries his fucking crab walk on the Taker, and the Undertaker sits up and glares at him, and it's like, oh shit! And even this little creep cult leader's like, I may have bitten off a little more than I could chew here. Uh, that's a, that was an okay match, but it feels like they could have like really upped Wyatt's theatricality because after Cena beat him it's like right now he's got to like really up his threat level so like he comes into the ring with a bunch of scarecrows in straight jackets and it's like use them at some point Undertaker could get pinned back against one of the turnbuckles by a bunch of these scarecrows and then Bray Wyatt could like try and really scare him you know, how do you scare that which is fear itself that which is unscarable but that's the thing it's, it feels like it's like go home son like, <laughs> like you can't you can't scare you can't me you with the big boys <laughs> Notably, I hadn't seen this WrestleMania at the time of recording, but in WrestleMania 33, Bray Wyatt goes up against Randy Orton and does actually kind of do that stuff. It's not with scarecrows, it's with something else, and it's quite clever. I liked it. But he's up against Brock Lesnar here, and there's the um, like there's a really iconic moment, now that I've seen it the, sec- the second time, where Undertaker does a bunch of things 
that we all start to get like used to in the, in the matches and like we want to see them so he does the tombstone there's a, a like a specific way of pinning them where rather than just like pulling the leg up he puts one arm over their chest and uh, as in like he crosses their arms the other arm and then he pushes down on them from above and then he sticks his tongue out like Gene Simmons and sticks his eyes back into his head and goes Aah! for the three count which is very theatrical and great to watch and we've seen him win with it many many times it doesn't work with Brock Lesnar. He kicks out from it, and then Undertaker does the, <gasps> the that look of what the hell, man. And they they tombstones him again, and then he stands up by the turnbuckle and does the other thing, which is to draw his thumb across his throat while sticking his tongue out in a kind of "It's gonna be over now," which is the signal to Brock Lesnar to pick him up and give him another F five, and then pin the leg. For the three cake. And then it just goes boom, boom, boom. And there's this sudden moment of... And the entire audience is just like... And there's this... All the oxygen in the room disappears. And the streak is broken. 21-1. And the entire... This is not even for a belt. It's just who can beat The Undertaker. And the entire crowd like... And there's this one like image of, of, of this, this guy in a white football shirt who's like got this perfect face of huh? we hadn't seen 21 matches with The Undertaker so we couldn't really experience what they were experiencing but somehow even though this was like only our second Wrestlemania and since I'd known Undertaker was around for decades already this was like holy shit and Lesnar looks back in this kind of huh? I won way and then he gets the fuck out of the ring quick and they give the undertaker a really long respectable sit and think and so mark calloway the uh, the actor is sitting there and in real time just thinking well that that was it that was my streak broken and he's going through like a real genuine emotional you know Anything could happen right now. They could start booing me right now. And one guy yells out of the crowd, You suck! And, like, he hears it. He he doesn't turn, but I kind of feel like I want the rest of the crowd to say, Shut the fuck up and show some respect. Oh, I guarantee you they did. Yeah. So he's sitting there for ages, and then he slowly gets up, and they're clap, clap clapping him and it and then he takes his long walk out like a gunslinger or a sheriff leaving town and they play his music and then they are shouting thank you and it's a wonderful landmark never ever going to be repeated again moment because there's no way they'll let anyone run for 21 ever again that almost seemed to have happened by accident they were like you know what undertaker's never lost in seven uh, Wrestlemania's. Let's see if Let's we can keep that going. Because that, my friend, is a streak. I think it's not until it's like 10 or 11 where they actually start going, oh yeah, by the way, he's got a streak at Wrestlemania. Yeah. So it, it is one of those happy accidents. So they, they held it on, but it wasn't obviously intentional to begin with. And then just over the years it became still not yet. Still not yet. And, and I think it feels like with the death of Paul Bearer, then symbolically that could be taken away from him. It's not a retirement match, it's not an end of the career match, but it's an end of the streak match that we only just find out. And like I said, there are people in the audience just like, like jaw dropped. 
Which is one of the reasons why it's totally worth starting with this, because it's so powerful a moment, it sucks you right in. It means you don't have to have watched 29 previous WrestleManias and a million episodes of Raw. You can just watch this. Just watch The Avengers and go, I kind of get what Marvel's about now. You don't have to have seen 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5 in that series. The Avengers is the one to have seen. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was an absolute landmark moment. And I've talked enough. Neil, go. You, again, once again, hitting hell on the head. Um, again, I was watching this live, and you, you know when you talk about that, that you literally can feel the shock radiate out. I was there. I was stunned. It's like, no. 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 That's, no, that's all right. No. That, that doesn't happen. You know, the Undertaker wins. That's what he does. And, yeah, it's the whole... This, again, in, in terms of storytelling, this helps meant Brock as the beast incarnate. The beast. I can't I can't do Paul Heyman's lines. It's, it's, it's Only he can do them. But, yeah, hmm. that's why he's like, refer to the one in 21 in one. It's, yeah, it's... Oh. It's, um, it's a really interesting match, um, especially given the Undertaker's age and getting a severe concussion so yeah. early on in that match. Uh, what, do you remember how he actually sustained it? Was it I jumping face first onto us, Lesnar? Because he tends uh, to do. He has this acrobatic style, especially in his younger days, where he would throw himself over the ropes. Oh yeah, I don't remember how it happened, but I know it's it's fairly early on, and and to still be able to perform to that standard, it's not. A, don't get me wrong; it's it's there is better matches, but given the fact this guy is heavily concussed, yeah, you know, it, it's still fantastic that he managed to tell the story then that may actually have played into his long sit at the end, just him collecting yeah. himself and going, I actually may not be able to walk out of here. But uh, fuck it, I am, because yeah. I'm the Undertaker. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real moment to watch. It's a real, you know, showstopper. And, like, how do you follow that? We're going to... Uh, Very hard. Yeah. We're going to talk a bit briefly about the Hall of Fame and finish on the, the, the main event, which is the, the, the last match. But the uh, Hall of Fame had a bunch of um, uh, people we hadn't heard of and a bunch of people we had. Uh, I'm going to save Jake the Snake for last. No, I'll save the Ultimate Warrior for last because it, like they, they, those two are contrasted. Uh, Paul Bearer, we just mentioned, had, had this wonderful Kane send-off where he talks about his fictional dad, but in such fond terms that it feels like they, they really had a, a close connection. And, and that's um, lovely to watch. Lita who was uh, a uh, female um, wrestler from the Attitude Era with this incredible look, like tattoos and just you know, flaming hair. And <coughs> the thong. The thong and the, the cargo pants. I, I, one thing I miss about the late 90s is the fashions. And, uh, you know, I still try to dress like that if I can, but you can't find cargo pants anymore these days. Not in the cut that I like. Because we're, like, decades older. Yeah. Probably wouldn't suit us. Yeah, yeah. We're not. But Lita talks about a broken neck that she received, and um, she specifically says that um, she was told that if she sneezed at that point while she's wearing this neck brace, she might never be able to move again. Mm. It's that bad. So she calls, rather than a doctor or her family, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and uh, he recommends her to his specialist, and that guy got her moving and it's, it's a wonderful story and like it cuts to Stone Cold in the crowd and we're so used to Stone Cold being this mean you know rattlesnake guy but he's got this lovely warm smile and he's just like oh, you God. Know, these lovely as eyes a, as someone who listens to his podcast that man is actually really funny yeah. and genuinely quite a warm and 
generous person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Lita, Lita you know, came off as absolutely fantastic there. Uh, Mr. T comes out and goes on for fucking ever about, about his mother. About his mother. Yeah, uh, he talks about his mother's urethra. He talks about rape. And he talks about uh, his mother hitting him and that being fine. And uh, every year, it's, I think it's happened less recently because they have, they're just so packed with other awards and things. They have a celebrity, and it's kind of a. It's a bit of a publicity stunt, like we're, induct- oh, yeah. we're inducting Snoop Dogg this time for all of his contributions to wrestling. And, you know, we're caring. Yeah, we're inducting the guy who wore the chicken suit. <laughs> and don't get the Tito's in there. Yeah. Um, in, in this one, it's Mr. T, because he was there to help with WrestleMania, in the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the first yeah. ever with, with Hulk Hogan. He was important, yeah. No, Against, he, he, yeah. He's one of those few stars that they have inducted that is genuinely important, yeah. and he, he deserves to be there. I've heard talk of the mother. I have never seen. I just, just like, no, thank you. Yeah. It, it, it goes on and on. But here's the thing, like, he's not from this family he's talking to. He's talking about every, you know, thanking his mother, and, like, you can feel, like... You were saying at that point, if this is great, unlike the Oscars, they don't pull you off the stage if you go on for they too long. They let you have as long as you want. They did not let In this one instance, off. they play Kane's music and Kane comes out and taps Mr. T on the shoulder. And when Kane taps you on the shoulder, you, you go. have to go. Um, <laughs> but like, it's, it's, it's not that, like, Mr. T, you're not welcome here. It's just like, come on, dude. Like, you know, people, there's lots of actual... Other if wrestlers. you are going to watch these ceremonies, there's at least one person that will go on yeah. and on and on. Ric Flair went for an hour and a half. <gasps> My suggestion with the Hall of Fames is don't try and do it all in one go. The WrestleManias sometimes make for a really great Sunday just going all the way through us, but the earlier ones are only about two and a half hours long. The, the newer ones are about four hours. But the Hall of Fame can go on and on and on, so maybe watch it in a couple of sittings. The only problem being, you've got to keep watching that. They are the greatest athletes in the world but they can be hurt trailer every bloody time it's very important that they show it and like I say it challenges toxic masculinity these men do get hurt honestly I think just watch make people watch the hall of fame first see them come out with their walking sticks and their oh, neck God. braces yeah show, show, show the bushwhackers coming out with their <laughs> you know on, on the one, one of them's on crutches honestly the bushwhackers were great fun when, like they're not in this one but uh, um, that, that was one of the most fun inductions that I've seen Scott Hall, who was Reza Ramon, comes out. And it's worth having mentioned the curtain call because he then gets uh, Kevin Nash and Scott, uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H and they come out and they all hug. And X-Puck's there, being X-Puck. Yeah, because they're all, all friends and they kind of... They're, they're allowed to click. do this now. Mm. Yeah, so the click is reunited. And so, yeah, um, I believe... Uh, That's not this year, though. No, that, 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 was, that, that was in the actual... 31 next year yeah. but yeah that's the sting it is, it's worth play. mentioning also um, a big shout out goes to DDP the guy who, Dallas Page I, yeah who left wrestling took up yoga and has helped in the rehabilitation of Scott Hall who had a massive drinking problem Jesus Diamond uh, Dallas Page sounds wonderful and will he have yeah. uh, uh, from all accounts yes he is um, and he also helped rehabilitate, rehabilitate Jake as well bingo now, we're, we were I was saving him for second to last here because um, I Jake the Snake was I only ever bought three WWF figures when I was a kid I never got to see wrestling when I was a kid we didn't have pay-per-view or cable or sky or anything like that it wasn't on BBC One or ITV I didn't get to, to, to buy any videos rent any videos uh, I got to 
buy a few WWF magazines, read a few an annuals. That was why I never really got to get into it when I was a kid. But I bought three action figures when I was young. Hulk Hogan, Ravishing Rick Rude, and the first one I got, which was Jake the Snake. Um, because I'd, I'd read that Jake the Snake brings a snake into the ring and menaces people with it. And he's got Damien and his python and his cobra. And that was just like, I hate snakes. And I was like, well, that is a villain. And for some reason... That kind of fascinated me, and I, I, I was like, "Well, that's a cool figure." And I, you know, I'd found out, you know, later, about, you know, about Jake the Snake through, you know, reading what happened in the Golden Age, and he he went off the rails, and um, his speech about the business of wrestling centers around it being like a woman, the one woman that he says he didn't cheat on. And the crowd goes, woo! It's like, it's not funny. See, he's, you know, he's being serious here. It's like, woo, cheating! Nope, shush. And Jake talks like an aged cowboy, but he talks like Sam Elliott, like a really excellent actor playing an aged cowboy filled with regret at the end of his life, accounting for his failures, accounting for his flaws accounting for his need for this game this uh, you know to, to to feel the crowd and he got addicted to it and he got addicted to various other substances all of a sudden i forgot what i was going to say i know what i'm going to say I've always loved professional wrestling. And I've always hated ties. And I've always loved the men that did professional wrestling. Because they're special men. They're a breed of their own. And he talks about how, you know, he was on the rocks and Diamond Dallas Page opened his house to him and said, you just come stay with me. And it's like, a, you know, we both benefit from this because I get to learn from you and I get to see if I can work my way up to being a wrestler as well. And it's noteworthy that during his WCW years, Diamond was learning from Jake the Snake. He comes across as a man who has lost so much and that his, he walked away from his family, his real family. And... At the end, he tearfully says that his family took him back and they're sitting in the audience and then they bring his grandson up who's dressed in a similar kind of uh, snake-accentuated suit uh, as, as him. And he's just got this air of dignity and class about him. And at the same time, this, it's the sort of an earthy, western, like, fallen hero feeling. And it just comes across as so genuine and it's, it's heartbreaking but it's got this triumphant closeout. It's not just like, well, my life was fucked, but this was a great night. <laughs> I'm going to go and drink myself into oblivion. He, he says that he's, in all certain terms, he has a future to come back to now. And it's, it's wonderful, especially if you've seen The Wrestler, which has a really ambiguously depressing ending. Um, oh, you could watch The Resurrection of Jake Snake Roberts, which I do believe is on Netflix. But that's not an easy watch. Yeah, I'd imagine so. But I think I'll, I'll watch it anyway just to, to learn more about the man because um, I have a, a great respect for him after seeing this. 
<sighs> and then the ultimate warrior comes out. Now, I'm going to keep this light, folks, because I can go on about The Ultimate Warrior a lot. So could they. There are three DVDs about it. Jake the Snake <laughs> kind of began the evening, and then Ultimate Warrior finishes it off. And they have polar opposite approaches to, to what they do. We, um, After watching his spiel, I looked up the terrible things he said online. I'm actually not going to repeat them here. Some of oh, them are they so are terrible. That, um, out of context, it, I don't want to excuse him. But in at, or out of context, there's no excusing them. In, out of context, whatever way you want to put it, like it sounds unconscionable. And um, he, he, the best you could possibly say about him is he just lets his mouth flap and doesn't think about the consequences. I think probably one of the best. That's the ways best of, thing you could say about him. One of the best ways of um, outlining it without going into detail is that uh, post wrestling career. He went into being a motivational speaker and effectively ended up like a, uh, what do they call them, PUAs, pickup artists? Yeah. The guys who go from town to town doing shows explaining how to be a shit and get women, yeah. except without the emphasis on being a shit and getting women. Yeah, more just sort of motivational, you know, go out there, grab your life, yeah. that kind of stuff. Absolutely, and stomp on everybody else in the process. But that's, that's the thing. We've watched two Ultimate Warrior DVDs. The first one is called The Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, published in, like, 2008-2009. The hit piece. Yeah, it was rare in that it's a it's a defamation. Like, it is, like, let us take down this terrible man. I feel like it was made in response to his terrible things that he said, like, to distance them. Like, you know, people were like... It was. <laughs> WWE, how could you stand by while the Ultimate Warrior says these awful things? And they're like... Fuck this guy! Can Nobody we just? Nobody liked him. See? Can we just set the record straight, people? And like a bunch of dudes lay into the Ultimate Warrior over an hour and a half. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. It is uncomfortable to watch, but it's also it paints a picture of a man who decided he was going to go his own way and he was not going to really talk to people much or engage in lengthy, close relationships like D- DDP and. Um, Jake the Snake or Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage even though their relationship was obviously very very strained throughout their uh, um, life they had each other Warrior had no one by choice and his fighting style was to charge down towards the ring to his incredibly energetic intro music he would charge in streamers flying face paint on giant shaggy hair going like this ah he would run round the ring several times he would jump up he would shake the ropes he would get into the ring they would hit him and he would go no that didn't hurt at all they would hit him some more and he would go nope you're not hurting me at all and it was like trying to play a competitive game of like make believe with a kid like Cartman who's like now I got the special armor and he just didn't let people 
like score against him. It was all about him being in the ring, proving how ultimate he was. And like there would be times when he'd like he'd be a bit down. Like they'd have thrown him a few times, and he'd be like on the the mat, and he'd get up and he'd start pointing his fingers and dancing from foot to foot and ignoring his opponent and getting all the love from the crowd. Like oh, he's getting the warrior energy. Yeah, the warrior energy. This is a man who literally changed his name legally. From Jim Helwig to simply Warrior. He legally changed it to that because he wanted to embrace the Warrior attitude. But it was his version of the Warrior attitude. The gods have called down from Valhalla. They have told me I will be successful. Like he was like fully like, you know, send in and you will get my uh, my 12-step program. That, for every single one of his match interviews, like, you know, I will beat the Macho Man, come this, da 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 And it was like... That's you know, far too coherent for a warrior promo. Yeah. <laughs> you have faced the ultimate reality. Much better. <laughs> oh, you got the scronk in. Hold well on. Points for the scronk. <laughs> and that he was... a joke. That's... He had a comic book. Yeah. That's and he the rope just... That he would just say these things and I can't lie and over exaggerate that was very compelling for a lot of kids to, to, to watch this guy go crazy and be so sure of himself and to, to, to feed off their energy but he didn't have many friends if any friends in the WWE then he strong armed Vince for, I don't want to make a, do another takedown but as far as I can tell this is the circumstances which led to his departure he strong armed Vince McMahon for a big old bonus mm-hmm. and McMahon was like oh, we don't do that so I'm going to give you the money and you're fucking fired and oh, the fact that he was on um, hormone, uh, human growth hormones you know helped yeah, get did, rid not, of him. did not help but so like he was like you know not turning up to matches he was becoming very difficult to work with and unreliable so Vince was like you know what? enough that's fine you're gone and so Warrior took that very much to heart. He turned up in WCW as just Warrior, eventually came back through Triple H around, and it was a fairly short-lived little tenure in it when he came back. And then he went off and started a family. I will say this. His two little girls are lovely, and I really don't want to badmouth their dad because I feel like a shit for doing so. His wife, Dana Warrior, is very intense just like him. Both of those two together are exhausting. I would imagine if you tried to have just a dinner party with them, by the end of the evening, your face would be on the table going, when, when are you people going to leave? This is our house! Helwig said in the early 2000s as a conservative commentator that, and I quote, queering don't make the world work, which he later adjusted to, if everyone was gay, we wouldn't have any more babies. He complained that Martin Luther King Jr. has a national holiday while George Washington doesn't and said MLK didn't really do much of anything. He went on a few marches and had a dream. He went on to say that Hurricane Katrina didn't destroy much of value when it struck New Orleans because the people whose lives were ruined lived messy lives. They were poor, Ultimate Warrior. Remember, this WrestleMania 30 took place in New Orleans, so... Yeah... Oh, and he said nobody should be sorry that Heath Ledger died because he was on drugs and that his child was way better off without him. And the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD was made to disavow him and discredit him as a maniac, not representative of sports entertainment as a whole. You know, like Vince McMahon is. 
Then, after legal battles and lots of recrimination, WWE made a groveling apology and not only inducted him to the Hall of Fame, but began an all-new award named after him so that every year we can hear him being praised as an inspiration to millions. Warrior goes on and on and on about this, and his speech style is really patchy. It goes down, and then it meanders. And then there's two occasions when he starts talking about how the Ultimate Warrior will live forever, and the Ultimate Warrior fans will live forever, and you stuck by me no matter what. Side note, the fans who stuck by him no matter what, if you read up on the terrible things he said, those are the fans that went, yeah, but we still love him. It doesn't matter what he says. We'll stick by him no matter what. Which, hmm. I'm not sure I want to know that. Yeah, that, that's worrisome. And he tells these fans to their faces, you are legendary. The fans of The Ultimate Warrior are legendary. Warrior's biggest bomb is not the telling the fans that they are legendary, because that's just pandering to the fans. That's fine. Like, he was always about pointing at them and telling them that they were giving him his energy. That's fine. What he says, and again, I think this is a case for him just not knowing what he's talking about, not considering the consequences, the implications, the fallout, the people he might be hurting with what he says. He says, Sharon... I'm trying to remember the exact word. It's something It's, it's along... effectively... Uh, to, if you when you go, go out there... The ring, yeah. No, 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 hang on. If you go into the ring and you play this tough guy character and you succeed, then you have no excuse to not be able to sustain that persona and go out and win at life and not succeed at life. And it just... I, I get that he probably wrote this speech before he walked in, but it just felt like he was taking a giant shit on everything that Jake Roberts had said. Because that was all about, I am this, you know, I'm this big, successful, controlling guy in the ring. I know what I'm doing, and I loved it so much because it felt... It made me feel powerful. But in real life, I was scared and addicted and pushed everybody away and I ended up broken on the floor and then the people that loved me came and saved me and that was incredibly powerful and any motivational speaker who points at that and goes that's a loser I cannot spend any time with that person their viewpoint is skewed Mm. what they're talking about is human frailty and vulnerability that all of us experience and the utter denial of that is what leads to the mentality of people like the ultimate warrior who just cannot accept their own flaws cannot look at this and go i fucked up here it's all about what wrongs were done to them by other people and that would be fine if it was just this handful of guys that popped up every now and again feeling like they can't possibly lose and they will have massive tantrums if they do but it's not is it no and that spreads. So he comes out on Raw and gives a speech. The day um, after. I think a lot of that speech actually was, was part of what he'd done at the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So you, you've kind of got the gist of it, Neil, if you've seen it. Uh, it seems more coherent. He has a chat and he thanks the fans. Uh, he says, you know, no, uh, it equates to basically saying, and I think he knew something was up because the speech definitely kind of, it's one of those when you look at it, you go, did you know you were going to go? Because... The, the gist of the speech or part of the gist of the speech was that so long as I am in your hearts and in your memories I am not forgotten yeah and then he goes on vacation with his family just to have a bit of a rest and by the time they're there he's dead 
he has a heart attack and dies. Like so oh, many of his brethren. Oh, yeah, oh, that's another thing Jake the Snake said. He was angry at God that so many of his friends were dying of heart attacks at the same age as him and just, just dropping away like flies. He envied them. He wanted to just be gone from this pain and he couldn't commit suicide because he couldn't do that to his family. He used those specific words. That's so fucking harsh and real. The entire crowd don't know how to deal... Like, like there's people in the crowd who don't know how to deal with it. There's people going, Woo! We love you, Jake! Like, just... I, this is, like... This is... Grandad's falling apart here. Um, you know, it is a sad fact that a lot of that generation and further on, uh, this is a common cause of death. It's usually the heart attack. So, um, heart's given. Mostly due to the fact that the, the strain on the bodies from... The st- I don't want to say it's all of them, but it, it's probably a good guess. It's, it's some sort of abuse of the body, either it be alcohol, drugs, or steroids. Um, and a lot of that, particularly uh, alcohol abuse and drug abuse, I would imagine came from the gap that was left when they walk off stage and that input from the audience, that addiction is gone. When that yeah. away, what do you fill it with? Yeah, from what I know now of of the guys that work and do this as a is their career, there's a lot more there that they can do to fill the time and fill stuff. You, for a great example, look at um, Xavier Woods. He has a YouTube channel, and that's very successful as well. So you know these guys now have things that they can fill their time with and do other things. And hopefully, there's more support for them. Yeah. Maybe not from the company, but from other people. That that this isn't going to be as much of an issue because it's sad because you know at one it felt like a couple of years ago it was a big name a week was going you know yeah was it Jake the Snake who said that um, he was suffering from a terrible like shoulder condition or neck condition and he needed surgery but he couldn't afford to pay for it and Diamond Dallas Page said there's this thing called Indiegogo and it was like no one's going to throw in for this and all of Jake the Snake's fans came forward and raised him $30,000 to get this thing done and that was what saved his life Mm, yeah yeah it's um, as well you mentioned the pain stuff that happens to guys on the road they can't afford to be off the road especially no matter what money they're earning uh, so they wrestle hurt Mm. and the injuries get worse and worse and worse Austin wrestled for over a year with a severely injured neck. Oh. Severely injured Jesus. neck. Yeah. And that's another thing that's going to play into alcohol and drugs because if you can't afford proper medical attention, you get what you can. If you're in pain, you take what you can to stop it hurting. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was the, the Hall of Fame. Like I said, it's, it's worth... Like for us, it's really been something worth sitting through. It's 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 good like evening fare. Like you 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 finish the day. Honestly, one of the reasons we've been watching so much wrestling is partly because everything's so horrible right now. Like it's so horrible. Just looking at Twitter is is like anxiety spiking. Just like knowing anything, and also because movies, we, we've gotten to the point where it's not so much that it's work. But we're always analysing to the like at, at point. It's not that it's over analysing or exhausting ourselves, but it was. Yeah, just... but what did we do? We put wrestling on, and then we started analysing that. Curses! <laughs> and it's say it's it's not all um, sunshine yeah. and light, unfortunately, no, as we've not, mentioned yeah. before. No. But but it's a it's a whole new it, it is a whole as, new world. As, as Max Landis has described it, it is a TV show about 
wrestling. And it's a soap opera, and we were coming in 30 years late. Yeah. So we, we have had to develop a few new skills and tools to look at and analyse a different yeah. form of, of media, really, a different yeah. way yeah. of telling a story. But, uh, yeah, for my my birthday this year, unless we do something else specifically, uh, well, the, the plan is to get WrestleMania 34 and just kick back with that uh, for the uh, day, which is a, a relatively inexpensive birthday, allowing us to uh, save up for You know things. what? You're in for a treat. That's a good one. Good. Excellent. Okay. So... Last match. Remember when we told you about Daniel Bryan? <laughs> he's coming back. He's got this uh, injured shoulder. They've uh, that he's injured it. Although we've talked for so long, his shoulder's probably better by yeah. now. <laughs> um, and he's going up against Randy Orton and Batista. And we're going to be relatively quick on these two. Batista is Dave Batista, Drax the Destroyer. And he's coming to this match having just done Guardians of the Galaxy. And it seems like when wrestlers leave to go do the Hollywood thing, when they come back, they get booed. Is that accurate? No, they're usually cheered. Oh, right. Um, okay. It's the whole, how am I going to miss you if you don't go away thing. You know, if you... That's if what I said. No, the booze come from the fact that everyone wanted Daniel Bryan to be in this match. Oh, they were calling him Bootista. And it's... So actually, <laughs> Are you saying actually, Boo or Bootista? Both! <laughs> actually, it was Bootista because he had a pair of blue trunks. That's not a joke. That's actually what people refer to him. Um, okay. But no, it, it was a, it's basically they saw it as, oh, it's another one of Triple H's mates put into the big show. It's a part-timer getting a title shot there was a lot of fed up nature of the thing they wanted Daniel Bryan who was there all the time working really hard deserved to be the champion and here comes Batista who got a lot of stick and a lot of fans have apologised to him for this because it turns out he he was actually quite good about the whole thing um, how dare you compete in this match uh, again uh, WWE had a thing where they bring a lot of what we call part timers Brock Lesnar guys who aren't there full time you know week in week out so why is someone who's not in here week in week out getting this big title shot at the biggest event of the year when this guy who's worked his ass off for years to get yeah. here just to get here not since I mean to get here and, he, and you're calling him a B plus and all this so that's where sort of the friction comes in with Batista right, who I, I genuinely love I think oh, he's a great I'm so happy he's in the films and he's the best thing in that new Blade Runner film and he is lovely he in is real life as well that, yeah. is his mother gay? Uh, I don't know but I'll tell you what he's very Progressive and yeah, you know that's what? the thing. Like I I, I've seen him say, like, yeah, if you want to like uh, bash homosexuals, you have to tangle with me first. He is really fierce about that. Right. Also, I apparently, very funny. That. I oh, have yeah, a yeah. question, Neil, and you may not know the answer to this, and that's fine. Alex can cut it out if it's not helpful. But I get the impression that your week-to-week shows, the pay is pretty poor, and the money is to be made at WrestleMania, and that's partly why some people get very frustrated about the fact that they don't get WrestleMania shots. 
Um, kind of, yeah. It used to be a case that, like, the pay-per-views, not quite like that anymore because of the network, but yeah, the pay-per-views, and especially WrestleMania, were your big paydays. If you got on there, especially WrestleMania, you got big payouts, yeah. big money. Is there money, money in the money in the bank? Bank? <laughs> no, it's a contract for a title shot. Right. Whatever okay. you desire. Oh, the WrestleMania 31 money in the bank title shot moment? That's that's a classic. Love that. That bit. is the last time I think when they actually innovated in a long time was when they introduced this idea of this contract that you could cash in at any time. And it's been a lot of the time it's been used really well to build stars, uh, talent into new stars. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's kind of a fast track. Like if you win this yes. match, you can like you know like th- this gets your Rocky Balboa versus your Apollo Creed. Mm. It, it's either a fast track or a course correction if needed. Yeah. Okay. So. I hear voices in my head. They counsel me. They understand. They talk to me. And the third man of this three-man triple threat match is Randy Orton, who uh, I remember as being this sort of sneering, like, cruel, like, almost preppy-looking guy from uh, a a while back. Oh, when he first turned up, yeah. Yeah, when he first turned up. But is now this sort of sculpted, tattooed, apex predator, like this statue of a man who sort of comes in and, like, he's got this kind of, like, Adonis sort of stand like that, and... Uh, like you took a while to warm to Randy Orton, didn't you? I think. Well, th- it was weird because it, he's too ostentatious, and that sounds weird to say because his look is very. Un- it is wrestling. You do get that, no, right? No. Ostentatious <laughs> is how the best ones no, do I, their thing. I do get that. You ever seen Mankind? <laughs> <laughs> I love Mankind. Mankind. Everyone is so kind of you. He's adorable. <laughs> but no, I mean, right? You know how. Sean Michaels, who's supposed to be this, everybody loves him. He's this incredibly sexy sexy guy. It makes my skin crawl a little bit. Yeah, he's a creep. (laughs) Yeah. So Randy Orton kind of came across in a similar sort of way. So he was sort of stalking out and standing there with his arms in the air like, everybody adore me, everybody praise me, everybody think I'm wonderful. But he's a villain. And I know he's a villain, I know. But that's what I mean. Now that I've seen more of him, I get it now. You're not supposed to like him. He is supposed to be slightly leaving a bad taste in your mouth and, uh, okay, no. But then I saw him do a couple of interviews as well, like as himself. And he's a really smart, understated, quiet kind of guy. Yeah. There was this one where he referred to... Don't go looking into him. Oh, no, is he a bad person? He may be better now. Uh Um, Let's just say when he first turned up, uh, he used to leave things in people's handbags. You don't want to know what. Right, hang on. That reminds me (laughs) of one thing. (laughs) 
just to go Is back briefly warrior to the Ultimate Warrior speech. He made, a, he made a remark about, he was talking about when you first get into the business, you kind of, there's this locker room sense that you're the new guy on the block, you have to take the crap from the other wrestlers. Um, and in some cases that may be literal. He said something about they would leave things in your kit bag and if you couldn't stand it, you you kind of had to drop it and leave. And it's this kind of this sort of very macho, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen kind of bullshit that pisses me off. But So did Ravishing Rick Root shit the, in his kit bag? But this, is, this is my assumption. At some point, somebody shat in his kit bag and that he's making it out as like this, this sort of... Um, frat boy um, indoctrination well, that's just locker thing room talk. that happens to everybody but nobody else has mentioned it and it just makes me think like no it was just you warrior they shat in your bag because they didn't like you <laughs> oh Christ never look up Mark Henry's story <laughs> oh god Mark Henry okay it's, it's worse oh. okay so- also the guy deserted from the army so Randy, oh yeah, he got a dishonourable discharge. He actually had to cover up his uh, tattoo uh, from, from that. So, okay. Intrigued by what Neil is implying here, I went and looked, and uh, apparently a lady wrestler found imitation shit in her handbag. No excuse for that. Shitty, shitty behaviour. But uh, his character is, uh, like I said, as an apex predator, he styles himself after a snake. He's got this way of, like, flinging himself down on his... Uh, hands and glaring at the uh, person when they're on the mat and sort of like doing a hissing parcel tongue type ha thing before he then gives you the um the RKO. He's a bad guy and he's uh, like dangerous as hell and he's cruel with it and you've also got Batista who's this meat mountain of a guy but also like really sculpted with it too and little Daniel Bryan's running out like a little kid in a t-shirt with pants on <laughs> and it's like this guy's gonna get creamed and he's, we haven't mentioned before, but Daniel Bryan's got this great big bushy beard. And when you oh, saw yes. the earlier footage of him, he's completely clean shaven. And it's like, hang on, did he like make a beard vow or something? Like, I'm going to no, grow a beard uh, until I get the championship. You're talking about the monster promo, which is a fantastic promo. Um, a video set that tells the story leading up to the Triple H thing. That literally runs his entire career in the BWE, which is quite a few years. Okay. So the beard wasn't new. But it'd been around a while, but it, uh, yeah, respect the beard t-shirt, which I always wanted. <laughs> so triple threat matches. Now, I've, I've played a bunch of wrestling video games, and triple threat matches are my second least favorite. My least favorite are cage matches, which you've got to climb out of, and that they then give you quick time events. And oh, yeah, no, 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 you're up against a computer com- opponent who just goes, well, I just won that quick time event. Oh, look, I won that other quick time event. I won the other quick time event. I wonder how I'm doing this. Or maybe because you're a fucking machine. I can't do quick time events well. Not these quick time events. They're not great. So I've got my stupid doddering wrestler, like, trying to get his leg over, but he can't. And then the computer just waltzes out of the ring. And it's like, well, I guess I lost that one. I guess I'll retry it again. I hate those matches, but triple threat matches are almost as bad because you're trying to deal with one guy and the other guy comes and punks you from behind. And then you try to deal with that guy and the other guy comes and punks you. So you try to hide from the two of them, but they won't fight each other. They both come after you all the time. They literally can't fight each other on a lot of the games that I've played. Yep, nope, that's wrestling video games. It's not fucking fair. They've got to act like they're actually wrestlers. There's got to be some even footing. 
Yeah, you sort of have to accident, get them to somehow accidentally hit each other, and then they'll yeah, yeah go away for a bit. It was but ridiculous. No, no, I was, they, I was running good. around the ring like Ultimate Warrior while they were both chasing me. It was I was like, like fight each other, you bastards. You think you're fine. Yeah. So anyway, this is a triple threat match, and the thing about triple threat is that when two guys are grappling, another one could come in at any time and mess things up. So even if if you've pinned someone, someone's going to come in. And they do some really great camera work with this, where it's like, oh, Brian's got Orton down, he's got Orton down, and then suddenly, boom, Batista's on him. And the camera wasn't following Batista, he just sort of explodes elsewhere. So the camera work is in what they don't shoot. Yes, a lot of that is what they show and what they don't show. Yeah. It's hmm. Kevin Dunn is the producer on that, um, and you will either end up liking him. Uh, I think sometimes his camera work is amazing, but his thoughts on the business not so much. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, the, um, the there are sometimes when you get like just out of the ring and they do shaky cam and it's nauseating. Mm. Uh, just, not just in this match, in ev- in a lot. Was of this matches. the match with the the camera in the turnbuckle? Thing. It felt like the, the camera was there's, attached there's to the ropes. Where it's it, I'm, shaking I'm pretty with sure them. one of them is bouncing Daniel Bryan's head off the rope repeatedly and it shakes whatever camera yeah. they're using and it just keeps Have bouncing you up and down. Have you come across the nauseous joys of the, oh, what do they call it, the Roadrunner cam? Ugh. It's usually in ladder matches uh, where there's a belt where they have to climb, so it's a camera Oh, it's a way the- up top. Yeah, I saw down. Edge and Christian trying to like to to to, to win a, a ladder match. Wide angle lens. Oh, it was, it was horrible. Yeah, and it, it really makes those falls seem so far. Those falls are far. I don't care who you are. It, it, there's no, no good. No good can come of those. So I know Edge and Christian really good eggs, as far as I can tell. Like we've not heard anything bad about them, but they come off as really you know good dudes. Like uh, they're both still pretty young and edge recently retired uh, and got into the hall of fame himself by choice because i think he he got a concussion neck injury neck injury and they, he just didn't want to push it mm-hmm. he wanted to still have some um some lead left in his pencil he said he wanted to to retire on his own terms yeah which is absolutely fine and he you know great guy anyway and he's one that's actually stuck to it as well yeah so the triple threat match goes on, and uh, it's it, um, Brian is up against it. He's got these like shaggy sheepskin boots, and he does a lot of big high kicks. And he does like you know one and two and three, and it's sort of like you know, at this point he's like kicking one left, kicking one right, and he's just being thrown about. And there's a lot of focus on him, uh, and uh, he's he's put down, and it, it really feels like it's, it's he's not going to be able to win this one. He gets injured and carried nearly out on a stretcher, and then falls off the stretcher and scrambles back towards the ring but in the end he like he gets Orton down and like pins him and then Batista runs in and then he gets Batista down and like pulls his head back and does his little like leg locky type thing and it's like it's got to be a tap out now it's very rare that wrestlers will tap out because usually they'll want to end a match with pinfall but this is pinfall or submission and to see Batista actually go bang and tap out at that point and then have the whole crowd erupt in yes 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 and they throw a bajillion reams of confetti down on Daniel Bryan as he's doing the yes yes and uh, Jerry the King Lawler labels it yes mania and it is this incredible end to this amazing night and his little girl runs into the ring and gives his him wife, a big yeah. hug yeah 
Do, do you know much that you were studying a little bit about them and their personal lives just um, to get a bit more of a profile on them? Not a vast amount. All I know is that recently he was giving his wife some training in some basic wrestling moves, but I don't know if that was just like a thing they did mm-hmm. for Twitter. He, uh, uh, I think it's a relative. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think he also goes to um, Connor as well. I think Connor's there. Mm. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I believe Daniel Bryan actually got an injury fairly soon after this and had to cut, uh, take a hiatus from wrestling for a while anyway, didn't he? Uh, uh, he's at the next WrestleMania where he uh, he's in that, and then he has to retire. Oh, we think he has to retire because he's... Uh, due to his wrestling style, uh, you will attest this when you see it, he's all go. He oh, just yeah. goes. He just flings um, himself at them. He was having really <clears throat> bad uh, concussion issues, brain injuries and stuff. Oh, so, shit. however... Look, look forward to WrestleMania 34. Okay. Thank you. That's a, that's a little taster for the future. We're going to wrap it up now because we've gone for two hours and 50 at this stage. Um, this is going to be a tough one for us to top. We believe they can do it the more engaged we are. Because remember, like this is the pinnacle when we didn't really know who everyone was. When we're actually really engaged with it... It could be even better. So I have high hopes for the future. It's a weird one. Um, WrestleMania 30, personally, to me, is probably the best WrestleMania they've done uh, since X7 and 17, which is kind of... It's one of the best, yeah. Yeah, it's where sort of the Attitude Era sort of stops and it becomes something else. But yeah, no, this is is a cracking one. 34 is good, if a bit long. Um... The one with the cash-in that you mentioned earlier is also a really good one. But, uh, again, it's it, sometimes 31. it's wrestling pay-per-view or wrestling uh, tournaments, pay-per-views, whatever you want to call them, uh, these, these big events, the mm. WrestleManias and stuff. They're very like movies. If you end on a high note, people will love it. And if you end on a sour note, people will deride it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good it is. But if you end on that sour note, people tend to turn against it. Yeah. From the Attitude Era, the ones that I uh, saw, there's uh, one where Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. I won't spoil what happens at the end of that one, but wrestling fans will know the one exact one I'm talking about. That was oh, that was the uh, the Iron Man match, which goes on for a freaking hour, and it is exhausting to watch. Yes, but it is. The last 15 minutes of it are great because it starts getting really tense, and those are the 15 minutes I showed to you guys, and 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 yeah, that has a fantastic outcome. There's a, I want to say it's SummerSlam and it's subtitled The Highway to Hell. Mm. I think that one has the main event, which is Austin Taker. Mm. But also, way, way down the card before there were the big stars, has a Rock Triple H ladder match. And it's absolutely fantastic. Nice. And it's not the standard that you will sort of see in years to come after Edge and Christian, but it's very well worth a watch. Right. So we want you guys to be as vocal as possible. <laughs> if you want more wrestling stuff... Tell us, tell us that like we especially want to hear from people who are like, I never watched wrestling, but I watched this, and yeah, I really liked it. Thank you. And like you know, if if you have, if we get you hooked on it, then that's even better. <laughs> but we don't necessarily need for you to be hooked on. We just like to hear if you were, if you if you've gotten something out of it. If we hear nothing, then we'll go. Well, that was our wrestling show. We don't get to do that CM Punk one, Neil. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I do want to throw out some recommendations to people who might be interested. Um, there's a couple of sh- podcast shows that are very well worth checking out. Now you might have heard of these names before. Um, if you want to know about sort of the Hogan era, there's a show called OSW, Old School Wrestling Reviews that chronologically, chronologically critiqued the Hogan era, 
that's well worth a watch if you like that there's a the new gen podcast which does the era after that and then there's the attitude era podcast who again all these guys go through these eras pay-per-view by pay-per-view explaining the stories the good the bad and they're all well worth a listen I've ranked the WrestleManias I've seen so far. I'm not going to tell you all of them. I'm just going to tell you the second one down for like, well, where do I go from here, Alex? WrestleMania 28, the one I mentioned before, Rock versus Cena, has a really great uh, CM Punk versus Chris Jericho match where Chris Jericho goes, CM Punk didn't even know his father. He's a bastard. And he's, he, Jericho basically comes across like Joe Bluth. He's a total horrible villain. And you actually feel for, for Punk, and he's, he's really getting into it in, the, in that match. 28 was spectacular. Okay. School of Movies is funded by our loyal supporters on Patreon, and our $15 tier get named support credit, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia-Abril, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Shesham. And we will be back next week with something completely different. I believe we are starting the Disney specials back up again. And this time, we are going all the way to the end. So we're starting with Dinosaur and the Emperor's New Groove. And we'll be pushing on all the way to Moana. You've got quite a way to go to catch up, haven't you? Oh, yes. So, um, Neil, where can folks find you? You can find me over at Gameverse at Gameverse.co.uk. We talk about gaming news on Sundays and we have a roundtable discussion on Thursdays. Okay, so we will be back next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. I said, are you ready for the Survivor Series? Who will survive? Throats.
is on top, there's a new gun in town. I made a vow to become a law enforcement officer. See these handcuffs right here? They're an instrument of justice. The big boss man is law, order, and justice of the World Wrestling Federation. Who will survive? Coming at you.